1: G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back
2: and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au.
3: T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.
4: Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night. This is Extra Time on SENZ. I'm
1: going to call.
5: Mercy, oh. Yes, good evening. Welcome into S E N Z Mark Watson with you. With you through till eleven o'clock tonight. The telephone number is O eight hundred-one five oh eight double one. The text number is double eight double three. Ben Francis is producing the show. We're gonna bring Ben into the programme right now because as always, he always opens every show and comes off the back of most commercial breaks with very, very good music choices. Um, where are we going tonight with the music, Ben? well it's always as always it's always a bit of variety whatever's whatever's on the
6: on the machine haven't actually gone through and uh, grabbed too much new music tonight no we don't need
5: yeah but it's new enough isn't it? I mean, when does music become old it's an I was interesting more, one it's
6: more meaning like new to the playlist, yep. you know a new addition to the playlist because i I love keeping the playlist up I love updating the playlist mm. all the time, trying to you know, introduce a few new songs every show
5: mm. hey um Ben look after nine o'clock. I thought we might just try and open the lines a little bit. I know that an all-black team has been named. It's fairly predictable, I guess, considering the injuries and stuff. Um, gut feeling: Are we going to win on Thursday night? <laughs> I think I'm the
6: wrong person to ask, to be honest, because I, my my gut feeling is always the uh, the glass half-empty
5: way. Yeah, we just haven't put two performances back to back, and I just run through that sort of lineup um, for the All Blacks and. I'm just not convinced about our loose forward trio of Scott Barrett. I'm still just not convinced on Scott Barrett. Sam Kane, yeah, good against Argentina, but as I said, Argentina's Argentina. Hoskins Satudu, he just hasn't played any rugby Hoskins Satudu and suddenly he's expected to come into a cauldron. Um, And then you go to the bench and go, Dalton Papali I've got a lot of time for. I don't have a lot of time for a Kirawani. And I just, yeah, and then can we really rely on, Terrell Lomax, is he really the real deal? I think Ethan DeGroote, Taki Takiaho, without doubt. Um, but look, we will we will open the lines and have a chat on this and a few other things after 9 o'clock. 0800 150 is the number. Uh, the guy that I'd probably like to see play is Luke Jacobson for the Chiefs. I think he's just got a hardness about him. There's an edge about him. Um, but I know that he hasn't had a lot of rugby either, and he's sort of coming back into this all-black squad. So we'll look at that after nine. Um, when I say the name Rod Dixon, Ben, what do you say? What do you say? Rod Dixon, how old are you? I am. That's a good question. Uh, 26. 26. When were you born? Two thousand? No, 1996. Six. Six. So Rod Dixon at the peak of his powers, 1983, 1972 onwards. So probably just a mythical name for you. I must admit, he was a mythical name until earlier this year when I heard an
6: outstanding interview with him. And I was like, holy heck this guy was incredible. And just hearing his detailed explanation in terms of how he uh, triumphed in so many events that he took part in.
5: Yeah, and his most famous one for a lot of New Zealand was New York 1983. But um, actually, it was 50 years ago on Sunday, September 10th, that Rod Dixon, at 22 years of age, won a bronze medal in the 1,500 metres at the 1972 Olympics in Munich. And so we're going to catch up with Rod very shortly on the programme and to reflect on that particular moment, 1972. Rather than the New York Marathon, we'll look at 1972 because, man, what a race that was. The great Kip Kaino, Pekka Fasala, out of Finland, um, and there were some very, very good athletes that ended up missing out. But um, Rod tells a really good story of actually listening to the 1968 Olympics on his transistor radio, at home in Nelson, and then to think four years later, there he is competing and picking up a medal. Um, Another sport it's huge in Australia, huge in Australia, and we've often had the wood on them in this particular sport, and we've sort of somewhat rocked them, and I'm talking about the sport of surf lifesaving. You travel to Australia, and clearly it is a country that builds its cities on its magnificent coasts, so many surf clubs. You watch the Uncle Toby's or the Kellogg's on TV with their Ironman-type competitions. You see all the Nipper's programs. And the World Surf Life Saving Championships start next week in Italy. Now, we won the title over the Aussies in 2012, 2014, 2006, narrowly lost it in 2018. Due to COVID, the next... Surf Lifesaving World Championships start next week. Stephen Kent, an Olympian from 2012, the captain of what they call the Blackfins, is going to join us on the programme. Now, news has just come out that Lewis Clarebert has had to withdraw due to injury, but Lewis was a part of this team. So to give you an idea of the calibre of athlete in this New Zealand Surf life saving team across men and women is genuinely world-class, but it needs to be to beat the Aussies. It's a combination of pool events, which is big in Europe, and the beach events, the traditional surf life-saving beach events. I think you'll find it a fascinating interview. We're going to do that around about 8.30 tonight. Okay, so we're going to do that about 8.30 tonight. Just something different the first hour, just changed up a little bit. And then, as I said, we'll open the lines after 8. Okay, so the telephone number, 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. You can text the program, 8833. I say this every night, Ben. But I think talk back is a better experience when you get on the phone and have your say.
6: I would agree with that statement
5: from you. And I'm I'm a nice guy. I'm pretty gentle on most callers, aren't I, Ben?
6: You are, but I remember when I first met you, I was absolutely petrified. Why? Oh, because I was like, Oh my god, it's Mark Watson,
5: the Mark Watson. Oh, come on, mate. No. No, I've always been good. I've always been good. Oh, you have been. I, I, no, but uh, sometimes sometimes in talk back, you know, you'll get someone that'll just come on and they want to give their opinion and and it might be contrasting to yours and sometimes you've just got to accept it and perhaps even say, hey, that's a really good point. I didn't pick up on that and occasionally you lose. And then you just get that person who sometimes can come on and just be a little bit rude and then you just put them on hold and you give them both barrels, my friend, both barrels. But that's actually really good radio because people love it. People just love that argy-bargy, mate. But very rarely do I you know, make it deliberate, I guess.
6: I would agree with that.
5: Yeah. But anyway, we want you to be part of the show, and I'm sure that, I don't know, is there much in this all-black discussion? Is there? Is there? I don't know. That team on paper still just doesn't convince me. Just doesn't convince me. That's just my gut feeling. Anyway, 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 we'll take in the break so we can pay some bills. Off the back of that, an icon of New Zealand sport, the great Rod Dixon, on the programme next. My next guest on the programme is a, is one of a group of athletes in the 1970s inspired me to want to get into sport, inspired me to want to wear the black singlet and the silver fern, and ultimately inspired me to want to become a sports commentator. It was a golden era in New Zealand athletics. Rod Dixon's his name, and we've got Rod on the programme because it was 50 years ago, on last Sunday, September the 10th, that he won a bronze medal in the men's 1,500 metre final at the Olympic Games in Munich. He was just 22 years of age. He actually won that bronze medal before he ever won the New Zealand men's 1,500 metre title. He joins us on the programme. Evening to you, Rod, welcome.
7: Good evening, Mark, and uh, everybody listening. And I've I've got to just remind you, it was the gold medal I won at the Olympics, but I liked it so much I had it bronzed.
5: Oh, that is brilliant. That is beautiful, Rod. That is beautiful, mate. That, that's um, poetry. Look, I remember interviewing you years ago on this, and what I always remembered from the interview was that, what I, I love the romance of this, 1968, you're at your home in Nelson, I think at your parents' place, listening on a transistor <laughs> radio to Kip Kano and Jim Ryan in the 1968 1500 metre final, which Kip Kano won, and then you, four years later, you're there... And you're winning the medal. (laughs) Remarkable. I'd like you just to share that again with this listening audience.
7: Well, of course, I was um, incredibly inspired during the the, uh, Peter Snell, Murray Hilbert, Bill Bailey, um, Barry McGee era of the 1960 uh, Olympic Games, 1964 Olympic Games. Those were defining moments as I was growing up. Uh, the history of our sport, the sport that I love so much. And, uh, yes, we were listening to the Transistor Radio, 1968, and uh, listening to the 1500-meter final with Kaino finishing first and Ryan second, and it was just incredible. And I I just said said to some of my mates, I said, that'll be me, I'll go to the Olympics one day. And they go, how much have you had to drink, Dixon? And I said, well, actually... And here it was, four years later, and I line up in the first heat of the 1500, and the one side of me is Kano, and the other side of me is Jim Ryan. Go figure that.
5: Yeah, remarkable. And, and what people won't realise is that Jim Ryan didn't actually go through around the time of 3.51.5. Kano won the heat, and I think he was just narrowly behind him. It was a fairly close... Five that went through. Gunnar Ekman, Klaus Peter Justus, and Gianni Del Buano were the other athletes that went through.
7: Wow! Very good, very good, uh, Yes. Well, uh, Jim uh, Jim Ryan actually was tripped, uh, and it's been it's uh, it's been determined now that he was pushed and he tripped and fell, and when he got up, somebody timed him from the time he got up to the time he finished. And his last 500 meters was the, was the same time that Kaino, myself, and the third place uh, ran. So when the uh, appeal came in, and Graham Davy was our uh, section manager, we talked about it, and I said, I think New Zealand should support his appeal based on that, that I felt that he um, had qualified it wasn't his fault that he fell, tripped and fell, and um, but there wasn't enough support, and therefore the appeal didn't go through. So sadly, Jim was not able to run in the next round, or the next, the semi-final, uh, and and the final. So, and of course, um, I spent many many years and, and with Jim and his family, uh, with what they do. because he became a congressman. And it uh, was a, a huge, in fact, I think uh, President uh, Clinton honoured him with um, an uh, honour within the uh, uh, the, the uh, US government.
5: Yeah. Now, what made it difficult back then is the heats were on the Friday. Next day were the semi-finals. The following day was the final. Now, often at the Olympics now, you'll have a day in between. They will give you just that little bit of recovery time. So you get through the first round, you get into the semifinals, waking up on the Saturday morning, how are you feeling? Were you confident that you could get through the semifinals? Oh, I mean, you always come across quite confident without sounding arrogant, Rod, and that's part of your personality, and I think you need that to a degree. Um, but did you have a level of bravado? Well, I
7: think, you know, your, your training is based, uh, well, your confidence is based on training. And if you have been consistent, and, and the, the key to understand with training with anything with any sport you don't improve when you train you improve when you recover and so training helps you to recover better and part of that recovery of course is very much of as uh, nutrition rest and 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 um, uh, emotional rest uh, spiritual uh, physical and mental so you've got to balance them all out and the good thing about having three races in three days, is that I came from a strength background. So I was with the running club, the Harriers, the Nelson Amateur Athletic Harrier and Cycling Club. Um, and so it, we a lot of cross-country running. Uh, we used to come over here to Marahau and run from Marahau to Outa which was part of the Abel Tasman National Park. And that's 40Ks. We used to run that on a Sunday. And, and of course the track was a bit of a challenge, so you couldn't run fast. It was running long and slow and at the talk test. And so you weren't racing one another, you were training together, helping one another. And so all that came into it. So when my brother and I uh, heard about, you know, how the heat semis and final and he said, you know, that's going to be a plus for you because you've got strength. A lot of the runners that I was running against in Europe in those early days, uh, they got their strength from speed. I got my speed from strength. Mm. And and as you had those three races, I got stronger, whereas those guys who were speed based got weaker.
5: So very much. So I so, think that, so, so so Rod, very much Lydiard based principles.
7: Yes, the principles and philosophy that um, lydiard uh, shared with our running club. Mm. Um, mm. He would come and coach the coaches and my brother being three years older than me, he understood the the philosophy and the principles and uh and then we adapted or he ad- adapted those to how I was training in Nelson. Uh and how we were training, which was predominantly uh off road, cross country, uh forest trails, um, you know, we've got three national parks here in the Nelson province. So we, we trained a little differently the one they, the, how they did in Auckland, but certainly we trained along the same uh, uh, system. And that's what allowed us to build that base. That And it is. It's about building the foundation. As Sir Edmund Hillary uh, would say, you've got to build the foundation in order to get to the top of Mount Everest.
5: Mm, absolutely. There was another New Zealander that would uh, reach that final, Tony Polhill. What was the relationship like yep. with Tony and... Um, uh, yeah well in
7: 191970 Tony won the British mile championships so you know and of course in 19 uh, that was 1971 1970 Dick Quacks was second in the Commonwealth games 1500 so you know we we had a we had a a very strong um development program going on Managed of course by the athletes. We didn't athletics New Zealand or anybody. They didn't they didn't help us with coaching or anything. We had our own coaches. But what we did when we raced together, we uh, we we had a a respect for one another, and we didn't tell each other about our training. But certainly, uh, racing with Tony Polhill, I learned a lot from him, and he learned a lot from me. Hmm. And so, and in fact. Uh, Mark Just the other day, uh, actually on the 50th anniversary, which was Saturday, I called Tony and we had a good catch up and a good talk. And to think, you know, that was 50 years ago that we ran that Mm. race together. Mm. And a lot of the images or the photographs taken down the track, there there was the whole field and there was Tony right there, right there. He was right in the race.
5: Mm. Yeah, Rod, that semi-final, man, it was a hell of a field. So in your semi-final, and there were three semi-finals, y- yourself, Pekka Fasala, who was actually getting coached by Lydiard, the great Brendan Foster, and then Paul Hines Wellman, who would actually end up winning a bronze medal four years later in that famous race with Sir John Walker. Um, uh, what were the tactics? I mean, how ta- I mean, I often am asked, and I said, look, I think the hardest races at the Olympic Games are the semi-finals of the 8 and 1500, because they're just so damn tactical.
7: Yes. Well, you know, certainly um, we knew uh, in the first round with Kaino uh, what to expect, that he would not leave it for the last two or 300 metres. He would go with two laps to go, and that suited me. I liked the pace right from the word go, really. So once he took over, off we went, and that suited me. And then in the semi-final, uh, when I talked to my brother who was in New Zealand because coaches weren't allowed to travel in those days, Um, we talked about it and he said, you know, you're going to be, the the, the Europeans are going to be more dominant and you're not going to get somebody that will lead out. But, you know, surprisingly enough, Brendan Foster, who is a tough, really tough, we saw him in 1974 at the Commonwealth Games, almost win the 5,000 metres against Ben Jipcho, uh, running very close to the world record. So Brendan Foster, he made it, he, he put it to it. And and so the pace was on and then I was very, very careful of watching for Vasila, who really would go with about two thirty to go. And uh so when he started to move, I just tagged on. I just got onto him and he was nice and slow. He wasn't accelerating. He just it was a nice drawn out sprint. And so that suited me again. I didn't need to I wasn't a sprinter. But I could certainly run uh, for a good two hundred and thirty metres at seven
5: eighths effort. I mean, we talk about Kip Kino. We've talked about uh, the likes of Jim Ryan in the heats, and some of those other athletes that came with big reputations. The likes of Mike Boyd, um, Brendan Foster. What did they know about the twenty-two-year-old from Nelson? Did you was, was that was that was that a benefit going underneath the radar?
7: oh yes well you see I'd i'd uh i turned twenty two in July so i'd just turned twenty two um they 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 tried to i know the media tried to find out more about me and they said well he is ranked forty second in the in the world um there was sixty seven in the uh potentially to run um they couldn't find that I'd won a national championships they did discover that I had broken the four minute mile um that um I hadn't really done much in the European and Scandinavia pre-Olympic uh, tour. The New Zealanders competed in Oslo and, and Copenhagen, Aarhus in and Denmark, and we went to Sweden and, and ran there too at the uh, Stockholm Stadium, uh, the Olympic Stadium there, actually. And, um, but, you see, the thing is with, with my training, that I'd, when I'd left New Zealand, John had pretty well set it out and he said, I don't want you performing before the Olympics. I want you to, to reach your pinnacle, you know, the, the racing pinnacle, when you're ready to race. So these races will be steps on the way, but I don't want you going out there. And I remember calling him before the Oslo meet, and I said, We've got, I've got the chance to run a 1,500 on the first day or the 3,000 meters on the second day. And John said, run them both. And I said, Really? because he knew then that I would run cautiously in the 1500 to save myself for the 3000 the next day. And therefore I wasn't trying to showcase one race. Just stay with your training, stay with your preparation and stay back and don't go out there and get into racing mode too early because you've got three races coming up in Munich. So he was very, very uh, astute and understanding you know how uh, you know 10,000 miles away exactly how I was going to be uh, preparing, training, traveling uh, that was something very, very unique in those days.
5: You get to the final, uh, a lot of talk around um, the Finnish athlete, Pekka Fasala, um, the defending champion, Kip Kaino, looking to become the first athlete in Olympic history um, to defend the 1500 meter title. Uh, as we mentioned, you had the other Kenyan, Mike Boyd, there, Brendan Foster. As this race progresses for Sala, it becomes sort of obvious over that last two or three hundred that it's for Sala and Kaino's going to battle it out. Where's your head at? What are you thinking about? When did you start to believe well, that perhaps you can get yourself on the podium here?
7: Well, uh, interesting. Very, very good, good observations, Mark. You well, we would. You know, uh, with a lap to go, I knew I had to be up in the front. I, I was not able to uh, relax and, and sit back. And then expect, because I knew that Vasila would not would not allow the race to come down to a final sprint. He would make sure that the pace was on, and of course we knew Kaino would so Kaino was not going to hand the race to anybody, so it, when when as, we, as I said with my brother, he said, when Kaino goes in the final, you make sure you're within striking distance because he will run the last five hundred metres hard. Varsala, don't you worry about Varsala. He will be there, and he will stride for stride with Kaino. I want you right in behind. And that was my idea, and I knew that I was doing that. And then Mike Boyd went past me down the back straight, and I, so I, and I couldn't match that speed that he went past me. He came in front of me. I had to take a step, half a step, to try, because he really cut me off. And I thought to myself, he's going to go and catch up, but he didn't. And the gap started to open up, and I realized I've got to get going. I've got the power. I know I've got the strength to get off. And I got around the turn as I came into the home straight, and I started to, you know, pump and work hard. And I just noticed I was picking up Kaino a little bit. But Varsala had made his break, and uh, and that's really how it stayed uh, across the line. And um, I think uh, somebody commented that uh, Rod Dixon winning the bronze medal probably was the happiest third place getter of of, mm-hmm. of the games. And, and, yeah,
5: and, it great. and it's 50 years on, Rod, but you've always you've yeah. taken you've taken that medal, you've you, you've had it copied, and you now use it as a, a finisher's medal or a medal of completion for the foundation that you've been running to get young kids moving. Um, and it's a very, very cool medal to have, a replica of an Olympic medal, uh, one that was handed out to the great Rod Dixon New York Marathon winner as well. Just tell us a little bit about that legacy.
7: Well, it's, um, I think you know what it was was Sir Edmund Hillary came to our school, Tahunanui School, when I was 10 years old, and and the media were there, and they quoted Sir Edmund telling us kids that Mount Everest isn't high enough for your goals, your dreams, and your aspirations. And that sort of stayed on our refrigerator door for probably 10 years. And so, of course, you know, having that inspiration from Sir Edmund Hillary was, and, and you know, reading the books of Peter Snell and, and way back to uh, George and, and um, the uh, legends of of, uh, of the running back in the 1900s, all that was just fascinating to me. And of course, as I uh, strode through to the uh, breaking the four minute mile and and winning the Olympic trials and being selected, I, that just I don't know just came more and more into my 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 uh, uh, emotional, physical, mental state. And when I finished, the when I won the medal, and I think one of the NZPA guys, it might have been. Um, Ron Polanski actually. And he said he said, Who is your inspiration and who were your heroes growing up? And I said, Well, my brother was my hero. But I said, Sir Edmund Hillary was my inspiration. And I think he was to most mm-hmm. New Zealanders yeah. at that time anyway. And um and he said, Well, you've got to thank Sir Edmund. You've got to go and you've got to you've got to thank him. And I said, Oh, I don't think I don't think you can call Sir Edmund because it's like the Queen, you can't call, you just don't call somebody up. But he said, well, hold on, the Auckland phone book, here is Sir Edmund Hillary, 282 A Remuera Road in, in Auckland. And so, of course, when I went up, I wasn't going to ring him up, I was going to go and knock on the door. And that's when I went around and he came to the door and I'm telling him the story that I'd been to the Olympics and um, he, he said... Um, and, of course, I had my medal, so I was able to bring that out and show him to, just to support my story. And Sir Edmund held it, and he thought, this is wonderful. Thank you for your recognition. And he said, will you promise me one thing? Will you inspire the next generation? Mm. And I said, yes, sir, I will. He gave the medal back, closed the door, and I didn't know what to do then. But, uh, of course, my mother, she said, let it go, goals and timing. Hold on to the goal that you will do something in his name but the timing is not right and it really was as um uh actually it, it started in 1990 as yes, after the commonwealth games when dick taylor uh we were in auckland and we put on a a, 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 a fun run a family 5k and 2k fun run and that was the beginning of going to all the schools and getting the kids to start training and uh and so so that's how it all started, and then when I went back to work with the Los Angeles Marathon and Boston and New York Marathons, I took that idea with me, and those races embraced it, and we got into the schools, and the, and now you know I would say that we've uh, over the years, it's interesting because I did use I did use my British Championships, my French Championships, my US Championship medals for the kids, but the schools kept asking me, can we have the Olympic medal again, please? And I go. Oh, don't you want the other one? He said no, and I said, Why do you want? Why do you want to keep getting the Olympic medals? Because the kids have told us that they want to be a three-time, four-time Olympian. So, so that's why the the Olympic medal is the most uh, popular of all the medals. And uh, and I I think we're we're way over half a million medals uh, that kids have. And in fact, interesting that because when I work with youth programs or high school programs in the US. I get some of those high school kids come up to me and show the medal that they, they got they got uh, 10 years earlier at uh, elementary school. And so, and I go, and what are you doing now? Oh, I'm playing soccer, or I'm playing uh, football or I'm playing basketball. But the thing, the thing that they said that you, the mantra that you created, which was finishing is winning, winning is finishing, gave them the confidence to think, yeah, I don't have to be a winner. I don't have the do first second or third what I want to do is to make the completion of my training and running my final mile to call it the my marathon that I've run over ten weeks and and then of course I've got the soccer coaches and the basketball coaches who are great people to inspire the kids because the soccer coach teaches the kids the importance of left foot and right foot and the basketball coach teaches the kids about the importance of left hand and right hand and so this ABC, Agility Bounce Coordination Skills that kids learn at a young age, it's not about first, second and third, and it's not about sport, it's about participating to be the best that you can be. And that's, that's part of the mantra, part of the journey, and that's incredible that we've had, well, oh yes, I'd say well over half a million kids through the program.
5: Rod Dixon, been an absolute privilege and a pleasure to have you on the programme. Happy birthday for 50 years, since 1972, since winning that bronze medal, since (laughs) changing the mood of a nation. Thank you for inspiring me and thank you for inspiring others. Always an absolute privilege to talk to you, Rod. Thank you.
7: Thank you. My privilege too.
5: 26 minutes away from nine, the great Rod Dixon, arguably part of that Dick Quacks, John Walker. Boy, what an era. What an era. What a runner. Third at World Cross Country Championships, uh, New York Marathon winner, fourth in the 5,000 metres in 76. Just such a diverse athlete. Finished fourth in the 1974 Commonwealth Games 1500 metre final. Finished fourth and runs the fifth fastest time in history and finishes fourth. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll continue along the lines of endurance sport excellence Stephen Kent, captain of the New Zealand Surf Lifesaving Team, the head away to the World Championships in Italy next week. He joins us next. It is 21 minutes away from 9 o'clock, you're listening to SENZ, great to talk to Rod Dixon, one of the absolute icons of New Zealand sport in the 1970s hard to believe that it was 50 years ago that the Munich Olympics took place and at just 22 years of age he won that bronze medal in the 1500 metres well, there's another world championships about to get underway in Italy, it is the sport of surf life saving, now to put this in context, we jump up and down about the Bledisloe Cup and beating Australia in rugby and beating Australia in rugby league and we love to get the wood over the netball. But I will say that behind cricket, surf life-saving in Australia is their other national sport. And they don't like to lose the team's world championship. But New Zealand, well, we won the title in 1998. But in more recent times, we won it in 2012, being in Australia, 2014, 2016. And we narrowly lost it to Australia in 2018. Now, due to covid it hasn't been staged in recent years, but it is happening again this year. And if you want to get under the Aussie skin, you beat them in this sport. The captain of the New Zealand team, as they're effectively known, the Blackfins, is former Olympic Games swimmer Stephen Kent. He joins us on the programme. Stephen, good evening. Welcome. Good evening, Mark. How you going? Yeah, good. Uh, it's a big, big sport in Australia, isn't it?
4: Yeah, well, it's um, <clears throat> there's not a lot of uh, uh, where to go without having a coastline in Australia and Obviously, they, they love the, the salt water, so um, <clears throat> it's pretty big over there, especially with the Ironman series.
5: Yeah, and when they have their club events, they get 10,000 athletes along, I understand.
4: Yeah, the Aussie Nationals is the biggest life-saving event in the world, I believe, still. So um, I know a lot of our Kiwi athletes obviously um, travel over there for it and obviously train in Australia to be a part of that event, and it's, um, it, it's huge. and. my my cousin coaches over there as well and and they just love it it's it's a really awesome event
5: what makes the sport unique is that to be able to compete in the surf life-saving sport side of it you actually still have to be a lifeguard you still got to do your weekends on the beach you've got to be a clubby first before you become an athlete
4: yeah i think that's that's probably one of the most rewarding parts about um our sport not only is it a Um, a mixed gender sport Um, we also um, give back to the community um, over our summers so um, it makes it really special it's not just about competing it's about helping the community uh, be safe and especially in New Zealand where unfortunately we have a lot of drownings so the fact that we can help our New Zealand society um, is a really positive thing um, for our athletes.
5: Now, Stephen, along with your brother, Dean, you, you, much of your life has been an elite swimmer. When did the surf lifesaving side of it come into your life? Has it always been there? Or was it just a natural progression yeah. from once you finished your swimming career?
4: Oh, no, I've, I've been a, a nipper since uh, I can remember. My mum and dad um, helped regenerate the Lavin in uh Surf Lifesaving Club um, back in the 70s. Um, they were heavily involved in their youth uh, with swimming and water polo and life saving and then that's carried on into um, myself and my three brothers lifeguarding for years um, and then I was a member of Te Bay when I lived in Wellington as well and then um, living in Auckland, I'm a member of my ingi bay so um, my brother works for Surf Lifesaving New Zealand as the life saving manager so we're heavily involved in you know, around water and water safety.
5: Okay Stephen, how many athletes make up the New Zealand Blackfins and what is the gender mix?
4: Yeah so it's it's a pretty awesome event it's it's six males six females so 12 athletes per team um, and then we go into obviously we have sort of 20 events in the pool um, so it's pool life saving and surf life saving on the beach and then 20 events on the beach um, we have you know individual events, relay events, and then mixed relay events as well uh, mixed gender relay events as well so the diversity of what um the sport provides um and then coming together for an overall team's championship as well as individual titles is a it's a really unique and special thing to be a part of compared to you know sometimes swimming, which is just you versus the clock and other athletes you know you're actually um fighting for those points um in your individual races as well so mm-hmm. Um, and, and then amongst the events you know in the individuals we have two athletes per country racing every time so you know we're fighting for, for not just the gold but also if, if we are sort of um, not as fast as, as as we want to be then we're fighting for third, fourth just, just for those, those team points mm. at the same time
5: Yeah a lot of people won't be aware um, but the pool side of it is very big and what it allows is it allows the European countries that are landlocked who still you know, place a lot of value on water safety and opportunity um, to compete. And so the pool events, they basically simulate, don't they, rescue type situations?
4: Yeah, like all the events, it's all based around sort of that that water safety. So um, one of the events that I specialise in is we're big fins with some sort of 50 metres underwater and then pick up a 50 kg mannequin underwater and then carry it back 50 metres. So... Um, It's a bit unique. It's a little bit sort of uh, probably unique and weird um, to most people, but um, some of it is definitely relative to what um, goes down in pools, lakes, beaches uh, uh, as well. So, you know, all the athletes who uh, are at the World Champs are all um, lifeguarding members in their their own countries, whether it be at pools or lakes, Mm -hmm. you know, so um, everyone coming together. That's why it's a really special event.
5: Now, Lewis Clairbird, off the back of his recent success at the Commonwealth Games, was a member of this team, but I see he's had to withdraw due to injury.
4: Yeah, that that was a big loss for us, Um, not just in in his speed and and what he's done, but just his his manner that he brings to to any team and and his experience. Um, Fortunately, we've got a great high-performance programme where we've had um, some athletes coming up um, and under and uh, a real cool opportunity for Fergus Edie who steps into um, into a position as a sort of more of a pool-based athlete. Um, but he's actually our fastest uh, mannequin carrier this season so far. So um, we lose Lewis in some events. That's uh, a bit of a bugger. But what we gain mm. from Fergus is potentially um, could be better at the same time. So um, that's why um, New Zealand's you know, vying for that mm. top spot where we've got the athletes to do it. Yeah. pretty special.
5: Now, when you get out of the pool and then you start to get into the beach events, that's really where the Australians, New Zealanders, to a degree, some of the Americans and South Africans sort of really do step up. What are the water conditions? What are we expecting in Italy? Are we expecting to have a bit of a swell or is it going to be sort of more like Takapuna Beach when a westerly's blowing?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's probably more likely Takapuna. In um, and, and most uh, world life-saving events, the reason to have it more uh, in those sort of uh, beaches is the fact that, more countries can participate. Obviously, the, the experience of the New Zealanders, the Australians, the South Africans, the Americans, and the, the more surf-style beaches, um, the Great British as well, um, are really accustomed to that, whereas um, some other nations find that a little, maybe a little bit too daunting for them. Um, and it's trying to make it a little bit more of an even playing field. So that's what we expect. That's what we train for. Um, and saying that, in Egypt in 2010 at the World Champs, um, you know, a swell came in on the last day and it was really testing conditions. So it, it, it can vary all the time. So mm. it's, it's pretty exciting when it, when those sort of conditions come on and, and can change the game.
5: And things like the Ironman, where you've got the surf, ski, you've got the, the board or the kneeboard for people not familiar in the swimmers is, is that is that one of the disciplines as well?
4: Yeah, for sure. So Ironman's obviously only one event, though, and... Um, What's crazy about our world champs is the, the discipline of what the Ironman um, is, which is definitely challenging. Um, at the end of the day, the gold medal is the gold medal, which is really special for, for athletes to try and strive for. But it gives you the, uh, the same points as what a line throw does in the pool. So it's a really interesting world champs where um, the basic of pool life, being, you know, a nine-second race gives you the same value as what an Ironman does. Mm. Um, but being from New Zealand and our, our main rivals Australia, um, that Ironman race is something that our athletes really uh, strive for, mm. and um, that's always a real mm. special one to win um, if you're a New Zealander or Aussie.
5: Okay, who are some of the other athletes in this New Zealand team? Yeah,
4: we've got a really great mix of experience and youth. So um, our experienced athletes, we've got Corey Taylor, Max Beattie, um, Danielle McKenzie, Olivia Corrin. They were all part of the Ironman series over in Australia, so. They've come off a real good season uh, of racing there, so they're sort of really fizzing up for the beach. Um, we've got two newbies in our, I'll just call it the, the Land Crab events of our beach sprint. So we've got Brianna Irving from Gisborne um, and, and Michael Hanna. He's, he's, they're obviously running really fast at the moment, which is pretty exciting for our team. And then in the, the pool, I mentioned Fergus earlier. Um, Chris Dawson's one of our most experienced pool athletes, and, and he's absolutely fizzing at the moment. And then on our female side, we've got Maddie Kidd, who's one of our really special athletes. Not only is she a pool-based swimmer, she also can do beach flags and sprint on the beach. So she gives us this really diverse um, style of athlete, which is really special in this sort of world champs, which is, um, you know, multiple disciplines to cover across. And then um, also we've got um, Molly Shibnan from Omanu and Natalie Pete, who's one of our other experienced. Um, Blackfins from from a winning Blackfin team and um, our team as well, so a really great mix of, of our twelve athletes and it's it's really exciting.
5: Yeah, and congratulations on the captaincy. Hey, look, I'm going to give um, Zach Franich's number to a number of different hosts here, and hopefully you guys get the coverage you deserve because I think. I think um, we haven't been fair, or the media in this country haven't been fair to your successes and the success of this team over the last decade. But considering, as I said, just how big the sport is in Australia, so look, Stephen, thank you for joining us on the program. Travel safely, um, rest up, and let's um, yeah, let's knock the Aussies again off their perch.
4: Yeah, that's 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 the goal there, Mark. And, um, and what's better than watching a blooder this weekend or in the following weeks to fly out and then use that as our own bit of motivation. Hey, We're pretty hungry to beat jobs
5: as well. Fantastic. Stephen Kent, captain of our New Zealand Surf Lifesaving team on the programme. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back with more. Okay, it is coming up to five and a half minutes away from nine o'clock. We sort of had to sort of load the ads up a little bit. Uh, again, just want to re-emphasise that if you hear um, a company advertising on the station, uh, they're a brand that become part of a future purchasing decision, please go with the brands you do here. Okay, that's the reason we're on here. Um, and it is, you know, a commercial radio station, so I do encourage people to do that. Hey, look, coming up after nine o'clock, I, I do want to open the lines, and there's a number of issues that I do want to discuss. Just want to get your thoughts. I know sometimes you think, oh, it's, you know, maybe a bit too much rugby or whatever, but that All Black team has been named, and just want to get your thoughts on how you think we are going to travel. Um, are we going to blow Australia off the park? Really good text that's come in from Dave and Dave sent it at about 8 o'clock and I'll read that out after 9 because he, he makes some good points on it um, also just appreciate the text coming in from Scott Logan regarding the interview that we did from Rod Dixon appreciate the sentiment Scott hope you're well and someone asking me why aren't you on full time Watto It's um I assume that's a compliment anyway um, we'll take another little um, commercial break and then like I say at 9 o'clock we'll I'd love you to be a part of this program. I don't want to sit here and talk to myself. I want you to talk to me. Tell me something interesting. It is nine o'clock, but a cold chisel to kick things off this hour. Ben, another very good music choice from you, my good man. Oh, it's
6: one of my favorite songs to uh, open lovely song. any show, or any hour up with, actually. It's just fantastic. Uh, seeing, or uh, well, Jimmy Barnes comes into the song later, but... Ian Moss fronts the vocals at the start and when you go see them in concert and he's there with his guitar just
5: smashing it away it's just awesome stuff Yeah, no, pretty good stuff indeed one of Australia's better exports uh, Look, telephone number is 0800 150 811 0800 150 You can text us here on 8833 Right, I've just uh, a couple of texts that have come in early which I'll address first uh, I like this one from Dave Dave just says Hi Mark and Ben Thanks uh, thanks, Mark. Ended up going down the wormhole until ended up going down a wormhole very late. Watching and listening to Jordan Peterson, absolutely brilliant. Yes, yeah, so Jordan Peterson. I've encouraged people to have a listen to him if you just want to bring a bit of sense and bit of balance back to the far left and some of the sort of uh, wokeness and this identity politics that seems to be consuming society at the moment. If you want to listen to somebody just be able to articulate what you probably think and feel, I do recommend listening to Jordan Peterson. The left hate him they'll classify him as dangerous, but only because he shuts down a lot of their arguments. Um, anyway, he, I've, um, he goes, and Dave continues to go, I have my doubts about the All Blacks. However, after another two weeks of Ryan and Schmidt influence, I'm expecting a commanding performance winning by 20 to 30 points. We know what Luke Jacobson can do, and apart from concussion, would have been the incumbent. So let's see what Hoskins can do. Yeah, big opportunity for Hoskins to do. Really big opportunity for Hoskins to to do. He just hasn't played a lot of rugby, and that sort of scares me a little bit. Scares me a lot, in fact. So let's just have a look at this all-black team that has come out. So we've got Ethan de Groot, Samasone, Taki Takiaho and Terrell Lomax. Not convinced on Terrell Lomax. Good, but not going to go down as a great. Still, I think, inconsistent. Still, I think, has got a lot to prove. Then we've got our two locks. On paper, legends of the game, Retellick and Whitelock. Past the use-by date in terms of athleticism. Bring the experience, and you do need a level of experience. So, and it's also a case of who else do you bring in if you're not playing those two. I guess my area of concern here is the loose forward trio. Scott Barrett. Now, well, that experiment didn't work at the at the 2019 World Cup, did it? I'm just not convinced on this guy. I think he lacks a bit of discipline at times too. Um, Is he really that combative six like a Jerome Kano, like a Jerry Collins, like some of the greats that have played the game, Ian Kirkpatrick, go back to the great Alan Wetton. Then you've got Sam Kane. Everybody suddenly thinks Sam Kane's this great player because he played well against an Argentinian team who'd probably been partying all week, and in history have never put two good performances against a quality side back to back. I'll say this, the great sevens, when you go and have a look at Michael Jones, when you go and have a look at Josh Cromwell, Richie McCaw, they're good every game, not one in six. Hoskins to do. Athletic, is he physical enough? Does he have that physicality? Does he have that mongrel? I guess it's how they use him. But like a lot of these All Blacks, he hasn't played really any rugby since the Super Rugby Final. And nothing simulates a game like a game. Aaron Smith, not sure he's the player that he once was. Interesting, Steve Devine from all halfback said he would start Finlay Christie in a heartbeat. Then you've got Mawanga who's been inconsistent, particularly when sides have got up very flat and also if this all-black team doesn't have ascendancy, the forward pack. This midfield to me is a makeshift midfield. I'm not convinced David Harvili is a 12. Again, inconsistent. I'll say this, Rico Awani, good against sides when they've dropped their head, but sides like Ireland, England, I think even Scotland and France show Rico Awani up at centre. To me, he's the best winger in the world and should be on the wing. Then you've got Will Jordan on the wing, wasted there, should be at fullback, and you've got Geordie Barrett at fullback. Your bench is Dane Coles, George Bauer, Fletcher Newell. Uh, not convinced on Fletcher Newell. I think it's a bit, bit of a Canterbury push, to be honest. Graham Patterson might be listening. You might want to call me on that one. Um, Akira Awani. Dalton Papalii. Not a fan of Akira Awani. I think he's all show no go. Bowden Barrett and Quintupaya. I don't have too much of an issue with Tapaya. And Barrett as your backline cover. Are we going to beat Australia on Thursday night? I just think there are just too many holes on this side to suggest we will. However, it's easy to romanticise the great Australian sides of yesteryear. You know, Little and Horan, Larkham, Gregan. Those types of players. This is a fairly average Australian team in a fairly woeful Australian era of rugby. But, remember it was only two years ago, they did beat us in a test and I think we drew in another one. Who was the coach? Ian Foster. They will get up for this one. But they've also been shown a blueprint by Ireland by South Africa, by Argentina, by France last year on how you beat us. Really simple. Dave's text, who thinks that because of Jason Ryan and Joe Schmidt, their influence will be the difference. And of course we do go and flog Australia in the split as low. Foster will be smiling going, I told you so, but everyone else will know, look, at the end of the day, mate, this is Ryan and Schmidt. If we lose, it just reinforces to me that that's got nothing to do with Ryan and Schmidt. It just says to me we've got the wrong players and we just don't have the right players in this all-black team. And again, we're playing players out of position if you're really honest about it. What chance do you give us? Oh eight hundred one five oh eight double one, And I know this sort of stuff gets done to death and sometimes I'm reluctant to do it. But I like to think at times I also put a different spin on things. But you look at the side, which is going to be arguably the nucleus of our World Cup team. There will be players coming back in. I'd imagine Goodyear and Anton Leonard-Brown, who would be my midfield to start. Um, you know, you will hopefully have Blackadder come into the show. Uh, come, come into the team at some point Ethan Blackadder who's just a remarkable talent Ethan Blackadder and so it can change but you, you go back and you look at the great all black teams you know I, I go back to the all black sides of Sayolo Brown Fitzpatrick um, you know Robin Brooke Craig Dowd Ian Jones Michael Jones at six, Zinzan Brook at eight, Josh Cromfeld playing in the seven jersey. That's a hell of a forward pack. You go back to eighty seven, eighty eight, and you look at Drake, Fitzpatrick, Steve McDowell, Murray Pierce, Gary Wetton, Alan Wetton, Michael Jones, Buck Shelford. And then you look at this team to group Takiaho, Lomax? I think Takeaha will go on and have a very good career, but really de Groot Lomax? Barrett, Kane, Satutu. Not convinced. Just not convinced at all. Just don't think we've got the cattle. I like David Haveli, but I think he's a full-back come utility. Everybody wants to see Will Jordan at fullback. Why not play Geordie Barrett on the wing and then swap them out when you need to, whether you're on offense or defense? Lines are open, Graham. Good evening, welcome.
1: Oh, good have My name name's Yeah, out, I, so I just, I, thought, I
5: just sort of not convinced. Oh, no, I'm not convinced. On, up, I'm, I'm not convinced on Fletcher. And you'll tell me why I should be.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's early days. You know. Yeah, no, I think I think, mean, I think, you think you that's probably, right, Graham. You probably, you probably won't. Uh, see that as a justifiable defence, but yeah, I think you know, he, you know, he's got there on merit, you know, with his campaign with the Crusaders, and um, yeah, I think you know, we've got to give, give him a bit of a chance. I think in Christchurch. All back forward's got a bit of a ticker up but, you know, he's a he's a young guy. I think he's got huge potential and um I, I know you hate that word potential, but I think in his case you can genuinely say at international level, I think he's proven at super rugby level. And, and, and go- he comes in there and I think he'll I think he's gonna develop. Well, he's showed quite I mean in South Africa in that second test he was, you know, outstanding. Was it off the bench, you know, when they after the flop in the, the first test over there. Um, yeah, no. I, I think I think the issues are, are greater than than, than pro- probably. Um, yeah,
5: yeah, that, uh, yeah, yeah. Look, and again, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, at the end of yeah. the day, he's not going to be the reason we end up losing this test, or he hasn't been part of the reason why we've lost tests. When you run through that starting fifteen, oh, and yeah, you look had, at this, yeah, what, what 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 troubles you? What what's what scares you a little bit about it? Because you, you just look at this team, and there's just something about it that just still doesn't instill confidence in you.
1: Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a, everyone talks about the inconsistency, you know, and that's one thing. But we realise that, you know, they, you know, they box themselves into a corner because they've also, you know, lost a few tests, and, you know, I heard someone else say today, well, you know, that's why they, you know. Were, you know they're not making as you know as many you know Satutu as you say. He's, he's hardly played rugby, you know. And um, you know I hope he has a great game. You know he certainly showed for the Blues at times. You know that he's a good player. But you know you, you're going to miss Artie Severe, aren't you? You know I mean he's massive. And you know maybe against Australia, if they're lucky, they they'll get away with it. I think against South Africa or France or Ireland, you know. Um, yeah, they're not so, you know, and I think I mean, I I know the Scott Barrett thing is contentious, I mean, everyone points to that 219 World Cup um, but, I mean I think he has shown it, that he can I mean, I think he is one player that can swap yeah. between lock and blind. I mean, Andy Earle, so you mentioned those guys, I mean Andy Earle used to do that for yeah, but, Canterbury and the All Blacks. But uh, yeah,
5: um, I, I guess my problem with this team is, Graham, and they've sort of brushed off the losses again, all in the name of the World Cup, and I mentioned the great yeah. sixes that have played in the All Black jersey, and I think Ethan Blackhatter is arguably the biggest loss this year for the All Blacks, and well, hopefully he does get back, because I think he is the type of six that we do want, he is that confrontational, he is that, you know, he has that a little bit of that mongrel in him, he just doesn't stop um, I just yeah, I'm sorry, I just don't see it in Scott Barrett, I think he's I think it's a nice little uh, fix it but yeah. yeah
1: Oh I know, I mean, you're right I mean, because I mean he played well in that first test against Ireland which I think was a bit of a false dawn, you know over in, the All Blacks yeah. were brilliant it, it, at Eden Park um, the All Blacks very rarely lose there, uh, in such a long was it 1994 yeah. the last time and um, But, yeah, I agree about Ethan Blackadder. I mean, you know, and Cullen Grace. I mean, people can say, oh, well, I've been one-eyed. But I think they put the... They, they had the scores on the board, to use a cricket uh, analogy, with the Crusaders mm-hmm. this year. And Ethan got, you know, knocked out in the semi and he had a great season for the All Blacks last year. And then Cullen Grace... I think would have been on the Northern Tour yeah. if he hadn't been
5: in there now, but, you know, he's gone yeah. now. So, no, but he's a good, good line-out option. Yeah, too, I, I, they're look, not available. Cullen Grace is just a guy I'd like to see. I'm, again, I'm another one that I'm not 100% convinced. I just, I don't yeah. know, I look at their size and I just wonder whether they're big enough or physical enough. And, and I'm not convinced on hoskins or tudu still, you know, because they the same reasons. Yeah, well, but you've got to give these guys the chance to see because we have seen a lot of guys um, over the years, um, you know, Mark Mayer, Hoffler, and I don't want to pick on Canterbury here, uh, but there have been a number of players that, uh, Daryl Gibson, another one, um, that I think were really, really good at super rugby level, but just didn't quite bring that form through to all black level. And But you want to give these guys that opportunity, don't you? And when we've dropped so many bloody tests, um, it's disappointing that we sort of stick with the same core group of players who are yet to prove to me that they've got the ability to lift themselves mentally week in, week out.
1: Well, I, I think the the original squad was was picked badly before the Irish series, and and when when you know Grace, we I mean you you're unconvinced, but he didn't make it. You know when they picked the team to go to South Africa, I was quite surprised because I think you know, and that's like the Will Jordan thing at fullback. I mean Geordie Barrett. Don't get me wrong, I think he does a lot of things great, but I think I'm unconvinced about his all-round game at fullback. I mean, he's a great goal kicker. He does the high ball very well. But Will Jordan, you see him at fullback. On the wing, he's wasted. You know, I think Ben Smith was quoted as saying he's a a fullback that can play wing. Ben Smith knows a bit yeah, about it. See, this Yeah, but see,
5: this is what I just talk about. You know, you, you run through the side and you've got Kane, do Barrett at six. You've got Will yeah. Jordan playing on the wing. You've got Havili at second five. You've got Rico Wani at centre. It just looks too makeshift to me. It just looks like let's take the best players and find a position on the park And how many times has that historically got us into trouble? You know, Christian Cullen back in 99 playing at centre, Leon McDonald playing yep, at yeah, centre yeah, in 2003, Jerome yeah. Kano playing at Lock when we lost to Ireland in 2017. Um, We've lost a lot of tests already with this group of guys. I I just, I I scratch my head and go, why can't you guys realise that it doesn't work? It might work sometimes, but it will get us into trouble.
1: Well, that's right. And you know, it's been a great. I think coaching a lot of it is selection. You know, and that's, and that. I mean, it might sound like one plus one equaling two, but it actually is true. People, it's not. You know that is inspiring the team, but when you got players, yeah, I mean, Rico did has. Oh, I mean, I rubbish him at centre. I don't think he should be at centre, but he did. He played well, you know, and I had to acknowledge that as someone had criticised that selection. But I still don't think that's his best position. No, I agree with you.
5: No, Graham, when you come up against an England or a French team in a World Cup quarterfinal, semi-final, we were up in our face and suddenly we've got to go to a plan B, and there's not the room there for Rico Awani, uh, I guarantee most people sitting on their couches will be going, where's Jack Goodyear? Where is Jack Goodyear when you need him?
1: Yes, well, I look, I, well I've heard no more updates there. Um, uh, yeah, it looks like, I mean, hopefully he'll be back. I, I heard an operation. <laughs> I've heard people see oh. seen him out walking around, but I mean, I don't know what, what his yeah. status is at the moment. But, yeah, it is a real shame because, you know, um, you know, obviously, Anton leonard Brown's due back for Waikato. I've heard too. So, um, mm. but yeah, Jack here was a huge loss. But yeah. Um, yeah, number thirteen. You know, it's um, your Comrade Smith, and that we talk about well, those guys, and you know, they're great players. And well, and we well, Graham, they talk
5: them. they talk in rugby league about um, having a spine. You know, you sort of your fullback and your halves and your hooker. Uh, I think, in you, you know, All black teams have had great sevens. They've had great centres um and they've had great hookers and you can argue great fullbacks and i'm not sure at the moment maybe outside of hooker i don't think we tick any of those boxes hey graham lovely to have you on the program thank you for phoning as always do appreciate it man is a passionate man loves his canopy and i admire him for that mate um dean good evening welcome
0: yeah i've um Listen to that all-black team, and to be fair, I'm scratching my head. Like, if Rich, if Richard Mwanga is picked as our first five and goal kicker, and after the last two tests, so he should be, the goal kicker, I don't understand why Geordie Barrett has to be in the starting 15. Like, for me, honestly, he's a Clyde style at fullback. Like, he doesn't do anything wrong, but he just doesn't do anything. Like, it's the best attacking position on the field doesn't do
5: anything. Yeah and, and how, got- yeah, and how often How often um, do you see Will Jordan and every Super Rugby game, that guy just turns nothing into something. That guy just seems to be able to make the breaks. And, and I agree with you. I think that Geordie Barrett's solid, but is the All Blacks about percentages when it comes to fullback? Historically, it hasn't been, has it? Absolutely. Look, I'm going to lose a
0: couple hundred dollars to a few mates because I, re- I said I was... Well, Jordan will be the All Black fullback this year and he'll get International Player of the Year. But I just don't get It's almost like Mr. Foster's got short man's disease and won't admit any decisions that he's made could be wrong. Like to th- this test against Australia, like, there's no need to have Jordy Barrett's the perfect reserve. He covers every position in the back line. Personally, I'd love to see him have a go at 13, not 12, 13. That'll never happen because he's just going to keep starting at fullback. Yeah. Oh. And when he does score and do his stuff for the All Blacks, he's crashing off short balls. And when Will Jordan does his stuff for the All Blacks, he's coming in the back line out wide. Like you're giving him the best attacking force in New Zealand rugby, a third of the ground when he should have three thirds.
5: Yeah, but it but see make- see Will Jordan, this is what I don't like about this Ian Foster selection mentality. He, he knows how good Will Jordan is, so he's got to have him on the park. But if you're not going to play him at fullback, don't put him at wing. you better to put Seve Reese. you better to put... List of on there. You're better to put a guy on who actually understands that position, and and then again, you know, you look at you, you look at Sam Kane and you go, well, we've got to put, find a place for Sam Kane. I love Sam. We'll play him at seven. Well, he's not the best seven though. So if he's not the best seven, don't play him at all. But this is what I'm saying. We're just trying to get these players and trying to get them on the field and put them somewhere, and doing that doesn't work.
0: Yeah, why are we doing that, though? Like it
5: doesn't because mean, we've got an uh, inept, crazy. Dean, we've got an inept coach who thinks he's now bigger than the game who should resign.
0: Oh, I've been saying that for, for years,
5: months. He should have
0: been got rid of 12 years
5: Well, ago. he should like never have been, been employed, yeah.
0: Absolutely. When Richard Lowe comes on TV and says he didn't win an under nine club competition, he sort of says it all. Like he's been on the shirt tails of everyone else for everything he's ever won, but it doesn't matter. He is what we've got. But surely other people around them can say, What are you doing here? Like, it's a it's our national game, you know. Oh no, Another no. thing that concerns me is I don't think the all black jersey is a twelve year job anymore. But they're, they're playing the last two series, Argentina and South Africa. Like the Warriors, they're turning up when they're gonna get the sack. Well that's not what we expect. they they're just looking after that jersey. No, no,
5: no. Yeah, look, Dave, uh, 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 sorry, look, Dean, I'm going to have to um, move on, but just picking up on that point, look, the All Blacks to me, it's always been about setting the standard, setting the benchmark, setting the evolution, writing the book everybody else reads. And once the rest of the world's read that book, we've already written the next one. We've already evolved. And this is probably the first time in our history there's been the odd little blip where we haven't progressed. And I think since 2017, we just haven't progressed at all. Um, And there's nothing cutting edge about Ian Foster. And if things do start to change, again, it just reinforces how good Ryan and Schmidt are, probably more Schmidt. And it'll also then just highlight how bad Ian Foster is, but it'll all get a bit muddled and Ian Foster said, hey, I just needed time. Well, really, did you need time or did you just need the right smarts to come alongside of you? Hey, Dean, lovely to have you on the programme too. Love that great southern sort of rolling of the R's as well. Great accent. 22 and a half minutes after nine, you're listening to SEZ. Telephone number is 0800 150 Dave, up next, there is a spare line for the first time tonight. 27 minutes after nine, Little River Band from Ben Francis there, bringing you all the music this hour. We are taking your calls on 0800 150 Your chance to have your say on this all-black team. I don't know, man, I just... You know, I was just thinking about the 2015 side and what did you have in that team? You had Woodcock, Franks, uh, Kevin Mialamu. You had their current locks who were actually at the peak of their powers. Then you had, what, McCaw, Kaino, Kieran Reed, Dan Carter, Ma Nonu, Conrad Smith. And then you had a combination of outside backs and, including Julian Savia Ben Smith at fullback um you know a hell of a side really in contrast to what we're currently looking at uh, dave good evening welcome you
8: know what I that Jordan Peterson was very very good I enjoyed uh, I ended up listening to nearly an hour and a half of different things but he's very good I, uh, we also had Nini uh, Milner Scudder. Yeah, I, that,
5: uh, I, 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 was, I was just having a mental block on Nini Milner Scudder and that's why I couldn't quite get it out. But, of course, he scored that great try in the World Cup final, didn't he? Yep, and
8: then Bodie, Bodie scored one coming on as replacement after Dan Carter kicked the uh, left-footed drop goal. I was sat twicking him that day, that night. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, Foster's never going to change this team. I don't know if it's his personal pride, but Will Jordan's the closest thing we've ever had to Christian Cullen. As we know, Ardy's Ardy will probably get, he'll be nominated for IRB Player of the Year, even though he's playing out of position. Um, And here's the thing, the last time we won the under-20s, was six years ago, and Jordy Barrett was playing 12, Mm. under Razor Robinson, you know, and so he has played you know, 12, but he Poster just doesn't want to play it or whatever it is. I think one game a year, it should be uh, the majority team and sh- just to see how it goes, you know.
9: And I, am
8: help- I am hoping we see um, Smith and Ryan's influence. They've had two good weeks now before they were in between games. So they've had two good weeks to drill what, what kind of game plan they want into them. And, um, geez, the Aussie team is very weak.
5: Yeah, but an an Australian team, I mean, you know, you're right. And against that side I mentioned, you know, that 2015 side, you'd be going, well, the All Blacks, by how many? You'd be that confident we'd get the job done. But as I said, you look at this All Black team, and I think it's a weak All Black team. And so is it economies of scale? Uh, Look, in regards to Joe Schmidt, And Ryan, I'll be, you know, if we do lose this game, it's nothing to do with those guys. As I said, we just got players out of position. I just don't think we've got the cattle. But what I think will be fascinating, the influence they have on the selection of this team for the Northern Hemisphere Tour, because I think you'll see some new names come in. I think Joe Schmidt probably sees the playing landscape in New Zealand probably slightly different, as does Ryan. Yep, and
8: they're not too... They haven't got the involvement with the players. You know, when you're an assistant coach, you know he's, he's everybody's buddy for the last eight years. Mm. And I don't think he can, you know, be that guy. And what you're talking about players in position, we had Marty Holler, we had Nick Evans. We didn't play them, even though they were very, very good. We didn't find a position for them. No. We played Dan and Richie, you know? And they had to go Jimmy Gopheth, another mm. guy. Very, very good, still playing. But we didn't fit them in just for the... For the sake of
5: fitting them in. And that's what we're doing now. Yeah, no, look, and I agree, and history will prove. Every time we do it at the big dance, we've got to seven a How many games have we lost? How many games have we lost with this sort of makeup? Um, uh, The problem is, you know, the disappointing thing for me is that we benchmarked everything's okay because we beat Argentina in the second test. You know, it's like, (sighs) but a good side doesn't lose the first test. A good side doesn't lose two tests to Ireland at home. A good side. You know, well, look, I, I think it's. You can probably drop a test in South Africa, never easy place to play. Um, a good side doesn't go to the end of the year tour last year and get beaten by Ireland and France. And they don't drop tests to South Africa last year in this part of the world. They don't, you know, lose tests to Argentina the year before and drop a test to Australia the year before.
8: No, and then we use the excuse they're tired. You go and play French top 14, someone like um, Tawera Kyobalo played something like 42 games last year between his club rugby and Heineken Cup. 42 games, you know. He's not
5: tired. Now, we've dumbed it down, and we tell the players now that that's that's what the benchmark is. It's just a load of crap. As I've said, Dave, you know, I come from a completely different sporting background, mate, and these guys who learn a thing or two, mate, they've got no idea about how spoiled and how how actually unhard they do it. I, I was actually out at Collard Rifles the other day, and I was watching the Auckland women's team train and I've heard all the stuff and the rhetoric, and I'm not picking on women it's because the guys are just as bad. But I've heard all the rhetoric about oh, we need to get paid because you know it's so time-consuming and you know we just don't have the time for jobs. And I looked at them, I thought, what do you mean you don't have a time for a job? Is this your definition of a world-class training session? Because I know guys who would have no problem handling what you guys are doing tonight, and you know, and, and just the myth and the crap and the wool that's pulled over our eyes, and how they con us about how. Tough Half lifers uh, they've got no idea none whatsoever
8: yeah, yeah see how they're going at the 60k mark in the middle of the bush with your compass not knowing where you are oh There's
5: but just just out just our <laughs> psych cyclists the orienteers i mean just a lot of those things um michael can i just ask you a question here mate did you oh, sorry dave my apologies uh, dave can i just ask you a question here uh, did you take any interest in the naming of the Blackferns team today
8: yeah, a little bit. I listened to it. I listened to it. I listened to uh, Dr. Farrah Palmer, read the team out. Some of the names I didn't know. Um, I'm a bit annoyed that the whole thing's up, up north, you know? Like if, if they wanted to take the game and grow it, they need to take it around the country, like uh, yeah, they but, did with the women's cricket will come.
5: But I, I I think if they take it around the country, I think it might it might demonstrate what a lot of people think, that perhaps the importance of it, is not quite as big as perhaps they like to sell it.
8: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you point. buy a ticket yeah. to go
5: and watch one of the... You're getting three games. I mean, that opening, the opening of the Rugby World Cup, there are three games you can watch at Eden Park for the price of one ticket. And so you expect the crowd oh, to yeah, come in because yeah. you're going to get three games. But, you know, it's also a way of, I think, saving a little bit of face in terms of... Um, yeah, perhaps how it would go if it was just individual games on their own, i.e. if New Zealand wasn't playing, I don't think anyone would turn up to some of these
8: games. (laughs) No, I think you're right, mate. I'm true, Dave.
5: I just get annoyed that it's all, you know, that the importance has been manufactured due to this political environment. As I've said, I love women's sport, love the soccer, uh, love a lot of swimming. Uh, I'd love to see our track and field athletes, women track and field athletes, uh, women's tennis, uh, women's netball. But it's just allowed to organically grow where I've got to, you know, for some reason, yeah. for some reason with this just we've got to push, push, it. push. We've got to make sure that we've got equality because, you know, the relationship between men and women throughout the entire 2000 years of our existence has been one of domination. And it's been one of uh, the male patriarchy dominating, you know, women, which, which is just an absolute load of rubbish. But, but yeah, yeah. N- now we're playing catch up. People should go and watch um,
8: Jordan Peterson. Uh, oh, mate. Debate that back. The guy, it's the, very, very interesting. I mean, and it, do you know what about him, Mark? He doesn't um or ah. He's a very clear speaker and very easy to engage with when he's talking. And he is precise and concise and it's, you know, on point.
5: And he never, ever gets rattled. And he's got some of the nice. best female interviewers in the world challenging him on things. And he just, by the end of it, they were a quivering mess in the corner because he's so damn articulate. <laughs> Dave, lovely to have you on the program, mate. You take care. I do appreciate it. Thank you. It is 24 minutes away from 10 o'clock. Yeah, good. Unique, distinctive voice, isn't it? Uh, 20 minutes away from 10, guys. First time tonight, actually, we've had a spare line. So jump on the phone. Um, Have your say. I'd like to just get your thoughts on this one. I know it's sort of, I feel a little bit like it's fast food talk bag. Oh, here's another all black team. Let's critique it. I've got to say, it's really hard to be positive about this side. I think it's a false economy, even if we do win. If we beat the Australians, like we've beaten Argentina, I still think it's a false economy. I still think this side here, you go to the UK, we play Scotland, we play, I think it's Wales first, Scotland second, and then we play England to finish, and we've also got Japan. I think this side could lose all three tests. Scotland have never beaten us. They drew with us in 1983 from recollection. No Aucklanders in that side, by the way. No Aucklanders went on that tour. Stu Wilson captained the side from out on the wing. Um, Never beaten us. The Welsh haven't beaten us since 1953. And, well, the English, I think they've beaten us 11 times in their history. But we are just so there for the taking. I really do hope Hoskins Satudu can step up and deliver a world-class performance, show some athleticism, show some go-forward, get himself into some holes, because I just have zero faith in Akira Iwani. In fact, I wouldn't even have him on my side. 0800 150 is the number. There was just something looking at that all black team. It's just, it just looks makeshift. It's too many players playing out of position. Will Jordan not a right winger, he's a fullback. Rico Awani is a winger, he's not a centre. David Harvili is a fullback, he's not a second five. Caleb Clark, he's fine. Richie Mwanga no problem. Aaron Smith, debate whether he should start over Finlay Christie. Hoskins Satudu just hasn't played a lot. And I have a feeling with Hoskins Satudu, perhaps, and I talked a little earlier to Graham regarding um, the likes of some players in the past who I think were brilliant at super rugby level and couldn't quite step up. And I didn't mean to pick on Canterbury, but... I mentioned the guys like Mark Mayerhoffler um as an example I and mean, that might be a bit harsh. Um but to me is a chance Hoskins to could fall into that gap. We all know Kane is not the best seven. We know Sam Kane is is marginal. I think he's been proven that this year. Barrett is a lock, makeshift six. And so you start to get this theme here. And then you've got Retellick and Whitelock. Retellick's coming back from um, injury. Whitelock's had 138 tests, but I think once you start getting up around 100, you're probably past your best. And then you've still got an unknown in Tyrell Lomax. And you hope Ethan Groot and Samasoni Takiaho are the real deal consistency. So I reckon half that team, I think you could put an asterisk next to. And that is what scares the hell out of me. Text us your thoughts. Jump on the phone. Tell me what you think. Tell me I'm a doom and gloom merchant. be fascinating. At least we've got something to look forward to on a Thursday night out of Melbourne. The Australians, I think, believe they can beat us, and they have been given the blueprint for success from the French last year, from the Irish last year, the Irish this year, Argentina a couple of weeks ago, and I'll even go as far back as England in the nineteen ninety in the two thousand and nineteen semi-finals of the Rugby World Cup. Dave Rennie's a sharp boy. Very, very good coach, but perhaps he doesn't have the cattle either. I'm just going to try and bring up the Australian rugby team that has been named for this test and just run through that side for you. Bear with me. I did have it earlier and then I've somehow just managed to click out of it. So what have we got here? Um, Team to play three hours ago. So what have we got here? Let's just have a look at the side that does come up. So Bernard Foley, that's the first big one. He's going to come in and start in the number 10 jersey. So that is interesting. So they've got Andrew Calloway, Tom Wright, Len Ikital, Lalakai Fakatai, Marika Corombetti, Bernard Foley, Jake Gordon, James Slipper, David Parecki, Alan Alatoa, Jed Holloway, Matt Phillip, Rod Leota, Pete Samu, and Rob Valentini, their replacements, Falau, Fayanga, Scott CO, Pone Famasili, Darcy Swain, Fraser McWright, Nick White, Reese Hodge, and Jordan Pataya. It's not a bad side. <clears throat> it's not a bad side. It's whether or not they have the physicality up front to beat us up in the first ten to fifteen minutes and put some doubt. Back in the heads of the All Blacks. Hit Terrell Lomax hard early. He'll be on a bit of a high. He'll be loving the fact that everybody's talking about him as being this guy that we've finally discovered that can get across the advantage line. I'm not convinced. Put him back on his haunches. See how he responds. Ethan DeGroote, another one perhaps. Shut down Sam Kane early. Don't give him the space. He must have been doing it tough psychologically in recent months. Play on those weaknesses. They'll be putting a brave face on, but you know human psyche because we're all programmed reasonably the same and I think we'd all be guilty of it, off the back of the criticism, off the back of the losses. And so Australia, if they're smart, they've got to come in and exploit that. 0800-1508-111, 800 1508 one we've got lots of things to listen to coming up after 10 o'clock too. We'll do a little bit of reflection. We will hear from uh, Caleb Clark. We'll hear from Will Jordan. Uh, we'll hear from Hoskins Satudu. Um, we might even hear from Ian Foster. Do we want to hear from Ian Foster? Do we want to hear from Ian Foster? We'll probably hear from Ian Foster, won't we? All right, we'll take a break. Chris Cornell haven't listened to a lot of audio slave eh are you talking about on the show just generally No, nah, not not much to be honest hmm you don't tend to associate Cornell as much in that sort of yeah in that width um but yeah but as always mate great music great music hey look we've got um, two and a half minutes uh, until we've got to take our final break and then after 10 o'clock, we'll bring you the full press conference from Ian Foster, always entertaining. Um, Boy, some of these guys could make great politicians. Um, What I'm more interested in when I listen to these press conferences is the questions and how hard the questions are and if you're actually allowed to throw a hard question and if you're then allowed to challenge them on their answers and be comfortable that you're going to be invited back to the next press conference. Um, I sort of get a feeling here that Again, there's been too much control. We want you at the press conference, but we don't want you to ask the hard questions. You need to be on our side or we're not going to invite you or we'll ask you to leave or we won't invite you back. And I don't like that about New Zealand rugby. I think that's been one of the big problems for them. That's part of the reason why I think other forms of the game in this country have become so stale and so sterile. I will also listen from um, Caleb Clark. We'll have interviews from Will Jordan as well. Um, Big Caleb Clark fan, of course, went through Mighty Manor at Grammar School, my school. Been a number in recent times, actually. Made that all-black team. We've had, um, of course, Jack Goodew, Sonny Bill in recent times, and then Alex Hodgman, um, Nepo Laulala. Been a bit of times at Wesley College as well. That's just the recent ones. We've been, yeah, Stephen Lewa too, another one. Yeah, not a bad little error. I'm sure we've got a few more coming through as well in time. I just on that New Zealand secondary schools final I watched the other day between Hamilton Boys High School and Napier, I, I just struggle with the Hamilton Boys. I, I just struggle with that school. Um, I think they're as guilty of poaching as what St. kennigans have done. They just do it in a different way. They basically just cherry-pick the best players from around the entire Bay of Plenty, Waikato region. Um, I'm just not sure a school can just produce such quality sports teams on the biggest events, Marty Cup, first 15 rugby, at the rate they do. And I, I, I struggle with a lot of the ethics behind some of these schools, why they believe it is just so important to be so dominant in sport and what does it mean for those students at that school that aren't into sport. Is there a place for them or do you just get lost? Yeah, that's just my thoughts. Maybe I'm just bitter and twisted because Mana but Grimm didn't go so well this year in the Auckland comp. But part of the reason why we didn't go so well is we were national champions in two ten, two sixteen. But in between, man, we spent five years and still building after two sixteen trying to find that next side from third form, from fourth form, from fifth form onwards. Anyway, we will hear from Ian Foster after 10 o'clock. We'll also bring you some audio from the likes of Hoskins Atudu, Caleb Clark and Will Jordan. It is just after 10 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. What makes this song, Ben, so remarkable is you just think about it, just a group of guys from Indiana who came together and formed a band called Guns N' Roses on the streets of LA, not necessarily, you know, self-taught. And you can come up with something so orchestral, so something so musical after just so many great hits.
6: Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, I really like this. Uh, yeah, if you see the music videos, bit in the music video as well, where yeah, he's got, he kind of walks out of the little church and then just starts jamming the guitar and the sand's blowing everywhere from the helicopter filming it. It's just quite a cool little
5: picture. Yeah, no, it's an absolutely great tune and it's um, arguably considered Guns N' Roses' greatest song, and that's ways up for debate. Um, but when you actually look at the layers in it, there's a very sort of Led Zeppelin feel to it. Um, but, you know, just absolutely the peak of their powers and just the, the lovely little piece that you come up with on the piano. I mean, not easy to do that sort of stuff. Another song that'll live forever. Um, hey, um, telephone number's 0800 150811. We're with you through to 11. This is SENZ, Mark Watson, alongside of me, Ben Francis. Just had someone text in on the Caitlin Moran story in Australia. Um, if you haven't heard this... Um, professional women's rugby league player, Caitlin Moran, is facing a one-game ban over an offensive social media post referencing the Queen's death. Now, Moran, a former Jillaroos representative, an Indigenous all-star, has since been forced to delete the Instagram post, which featured a picture of Queen Elizabeth. And she basically said on this, today's a good effing day, Uncle Luke announces his tour, and this dumb dog dies. Happy effing Friday, the post read. So, um... Being indigenous, you might have an issue with um, colonization. Might have an issue with uh, royalty and with the Queen, um, which I get. Okay, and she doesn't have to like the Queen. I'm not sure that the issue is so much around the fact that it's the Queen. I think it's more to the language that they use. You've got to understand in their contracts there will be clauses which tell the players that they need to live up to and act in a certain way and up to a certain standard so that that fits in with the brand of the organisation, a brand which they've gone out and sold to sponsors who have a synergy with that story, whether it be one of family, whether it be one of community, whatever it is. And sometimes when you go and do stuff here on social media and you use that, it's not so much of a freedom of speech issue. It's the fact is that you start to actually put the organisation at financial risk. Like I, I'm into freedom of speech, man. I believe that um, the media should be separate from government. I believe judiciary should be separate from government. I'm not a big royalist. I can understand why people really don't care. But I think in social media, when you're under contract, you're representing an organisation, that organisation's paying you wages, They've got a certain standard they want to live up to. You probably could have said the same thing a very different way. What do you think, Ben?
6: Yeah, it's a real tricky one, isn't it? Like, I guess if you don't agree or you're not happy, just don't put it out there. It's as
5: simple as that. Just don't say anything. Yeah, I mean, you could come out and say, hey, look, can't understand why everyone's the big fuss, you know, having been somebody that's grown up in a country where I've been a minority and... You know, we've basically seen our entire race, religion and stuff being completely demolished and you know, um, I'm not a royalist and um yeah, and, and leave it at that. And I think people could probably accept that, take that on board, and that would be a political statement which would probably be fair enough in the eyes of many. Might upset some, but it's not using the language, it's not in that derogatory way.
6: Yeah, exactly. It's just you just got to be careful on social media as well it's uh, oh, it, it's uh, it can be used for great things but it can also oh. uh, be full of very very dark turns and twists yeah, and...
5: yeah. I mean the only thing that I am um, the only thing that I ever a social media that I use is a Facebook page and I don't put a lot on it sometimes I do and sometimes it's about more updating um, broadcasting people that I work with overseas or just showing them that you're busy or there might be some family stuff occasionally that goes up but there's a lot of stuff that sometimes I'm tempted to put up. There's a lot of stuff that I'm tempted to comment on, but I don't because I know that it could come back and bite me. I know that somebody may be in the media industry or maybe you're in line for something and then they just go through it because they'll check all that stuff. They'll go and do a background check on you and check all that stuff. And in this political environment, you've just got to be so damn careful. So unless it's a 100% passionate about it, you better just to walk away. And sometimes that's not easy. My wife's always saying, take that down, take that down. Okay? And she'll give me the reason. Normally, she's pretty right on it. And then there have been things sometimes where I thought I'll comment, and then I think, oh, okay, it could be misconstrued. I won't comment. But of course, you'd say that, though. What's that? My wife's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, when you get married, mate, you just go, you know, I'm a broadcaster, but my speech has been limited. Yes, honey. Sorry, honey. Thank you, honey. That's pretty much it now. You can actually speak your mind here. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's. um, oh, I. It's funny though, isn't it? You look at the way the Brits and stuff have mourned the death of the Queen and good on them. Again, freedom of movement, freedom of whatever. But if that was North Korea, we'd look at it very negatively, wouldn't we? We'd go, there's a guy, look at him, the control and dictator and how he's brainwashed all of these people and, you know, he's this evil tyrant and all the North Koreans are coming out there and same in China. But yet, we sort of, you know, Western civilization always hides behind democracy, doesn't it? And therefore it can get away with anything. It seems to somehow legalize what they're doing and yet crucify other regimes for the way they perhaps behave. I was just thinking to myself, I thought, you know, the cancellation of football games, the cancellation of everything, it's sort of got this whole sort of like, and you're not, and, and I heard today that. Somebody in Scotland, I read this on the Australian paper. Somebody in Scotland heckled Prince Andrew when the hearse went past. They tackled him and arrested him. And I thought, no, you can't do that. Guy wants to protest; he's allowed to protest. If he wants to have a crack at Andrew based on what he believes is be politically, um, sorry, morally corrupt. Good luck to him. Hey, is it appropriate? Probably not. But really, you gonna knock a guy to ground and arrest him? That starts to sound to me like North Korea. It's okay, your beloved Liverpool are back tomorrow. They are. Are they back tomorrow? Or Thursday? I thought it was Thursday.
6: Tomorrow against I, I, yeah. Ajax. Yeah. That's yeah. the tongue that's but You so don't have Spark Sport though, do you? Uh,
5: no, I don't. No, I don't. I got rid of it actually. I got rid of it. I I had it when the football was on. And then I got yeah got rid of it when the football stopped. But they've still got the Champions League. Big big game for Liverpool tomorrow. They need to win that one, mate. They do need to win that one, or there is going to be some major discussion going on. I think the biggest problem for Liverpool, mate, is that when you try and win four tournaments and you play every game of every tournament, and you go right through to that season, then some of their players went into that those international games. You know, they have that European League now, which just seems meaningless. But guys like Alexander Arnold went into the England team. You look at it; those guys just really haven't had a break, mate. Because then by the time July comes around, they're back touring Thailand and Asia. And I just think don't think they're rested enough. I just don't think they had a long enough break. And I think that's the danger when you try and chase four. Like I think the best thing you can do is actually get knocked out of a couple of these cups early and target just one or two. Yeah,
6: probably right. I know, I know lots of these lower league teams as well. They play uh, a lot, quite a lot of games as well. See, but...
5: my wife's never said to me, you're probably right, Mark. Oh, I don't believe that for one second. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, just i just going back to our conversation. I digress. Behave uh, yourself, Mark. Behave yourself.
6: <laughs> but I think lots of these lower league teams they they play a lot of games as well. But I know there's not as much money on the line, and I know not as much pressure. You know. Well,
5: <laughs> there is, but there isn't. Well, it's a different kind of pressure. Mm. Yeah, it's about promotion relegation. Well, but, well, it is a similar thing, isn't it? But. You know, yeah, the quality of football, the intensity, the standard, the expectation in that English Premier League is just like, you know, they talk about elite-level sport coming down to less than 0.001% in performance, mate. And in the English Premier League is a classic, you know, have a bad night's sleep, mate. You have a bad game, you lose. Uh, so interesting to see if they drop Alexander-Arnold tomorrow. If he does start, there is talk that he will be dropped. And give the guy a rest. Sometimes by putting your feet up, you're getting better, not slower, or getting faster, not slower. Anyway, we will take a break and we will come back here and we'll play some audio from throughout the day, particularly with that All Black team just having been named to take on the Wallabies on Thursday night. The remarkable voice of Paolo Antini, absolutely remarkable. Scotsman, hard to believe. Wow, what a set of pipes. I've got to take more time to listen to this guy. I've got my stereo in the car and it's just out at the moment. I've got to think, unplug the battery and sort of then reset everything because it it's just frozen on me. Speaking of which, my phone sort of froze today, and I had to go and get it properly redone, new screen and all the rest. Cost me one hundred and sixty-five bucks, but I tell you what, it looks almost brand new now. But it's better than paying. God, they're not cheap, are they? The cheapest iPhone I think's around seven, eight hundred dollars. They sort of go right up to two thousand dollars. I think the I think the new ones coming out are even going in three thousand. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, you know, I bought an Apple Mac because I just needed one for some creative stuff and that cost me a small bloody fortune. But the good thing is three years down the track, it's still primo, you know, and I feel like I've, from a business point, if you feel like I've sort of well and truly paid it off intellectually or well, not intellectually, from a business point of view. But man, it's unbelievable, these phones. Anyway, I found another iPhone and I thought, I hadn't didn't actually have that long before I smashed it. I seem to smash these phones quite regularly. Maybe it's because they always fall out of my pocket while I'm running. Um... And so I'm getting that screen replaced, but that was only sixty five bucks because it's an older model. So I'll pick that up tomorrow and see if it does work. Hey, um, now Ben, you've got some audio there from Caleb and uh, Caleb Clark and Will Jordan.
6: Yeah, so uh, quite a bit of All Blacks media today. Uh, Ian Foster, Hoskins, Suttu, I think it was Brodie Rachalik as well, and Caleb Clark and Will Jordan all fronted the media, all had different things to say, and quids just about. Uh, Lots of different things but to start things off we'll hear from Caleb Clark and Will Jordan.
10: Will they've obviously got some pretty dangerous ball runners no more so maybe than Marika. How do you go about planning and preparing to to kind of face and and try and stop him on Thursday?
9: Yeah I guess it's a bit of kind of preview work that goes into it. Um, I've matched up with Marika a few times now over the years and like you say it's a pretty punishing ball runner and certainly goes out all guns blazing out there so um, yeah you do as much sort of preview work as what you can and um, prepare yourself and then, like you say come Thursday night it's about trying to execute the stuff that you've been working on and I'm sure there are a few things we haven't seen as well so just staying ready for that too Is that
10: the sort of challenge that, it, that excites are you trying to prevent
9: prevent someone like him? Yeah I think so You know, he's probably been setting the benchmark for wingers over the last you know two or three years so um, it's always exciting playing against him and um, yeah, like you said, yeah, it is a good challenge.
10: Caleb, haven't been unable to string, you know, I suppose those consistent performances together this year that you want, what, what have you seen in training this week that you know, puts this team in a position to to get back-to-back wins? Yeah, I think just our competitiveness um, coming into this
11: week you know, we came off a great win um, before and sort of want to keep that momentum going but I think the, the non-23, the boys that um, don't get to strip up, they're the ones that uh, really help us, you know, get that performance that we work for on the weekends. Because, you know, during the week they're the ones that we have to try play against, and they have to emulate um, how our opposition plays. And so, yeah, I think we have to give full credit to the boys that are that don't get to strip because,
10: get yeah, like the boys that go out on the field, they're just as important. So, a guy you obviously know well, Hoskins, will get his chance. How exciting for your, you know, your Blues teammate to, to get a chance in black
11: this weekend or on Thursday. Yeah, we're really excited. I know he's been um, holding up to play and I know how excited he is, even though it didn't seem like he was too excited in front of the cameras, but, nah, it's gonna be exciting for him and I know he'll um, do the jersey proud and we know that Artie is proud of him back home as well, so, yeah.
3: Caleb, when you think back to um, a couple of years back when you made your test debut off the bench against the Wallabies and then your first start at Eden Park, which was pretty special, um, I guess obviously fond memories of playing the Wallabies. What
11: are you expecting on Tuesday night? Yeah, uh, read something in the media that they're going to bring their brutality, and so I think that's what we'll expect. Um, had a look at their team as well, and we saw, you know, big ball runners. Uh, you know, even in their midfield, they got good runners as well. So, yeah, it's going to be um, a lot of running rugby under the roof. So it's exciting, and I think for us, that's what we're um, fizzing up for. Just. We just take that on.
3: When you think back to that Eden Park test, I mean, what went well so well for you that night? And what do you kind of yeah. like take from that to try and re- reduce um, that sort of performance?
11: Yeah, I think uh, back then it was just just felt free just to play and then shackles off was kind of the kind of the mindset back then. And um, we sort of reflect on Hamilton and um, our mindset was there just, you know, play freely and shackles off. And so, yeah, I think that's what I'll try and, like we're all going to try and do just pray Pray. We'll pray before the game. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just play freely and just, you know, have fun. Um, it's always a great match-up against the Aussies, so yeah, just looking forward to that. Will, does the
10: like Cup still hold um, pride of place, I suppose, in one of the trophies that you want to win, despite the fact you, as an All-Blacks team, held it for 19
9: minutes? Oh, massively. Like, we don't take it for granted, and um, we've done some stuff around this week with the history of it. Uh, Sam Whitelock had a pretty great little uh, I guess, scene set on uh what night is it for the Thursday game, Saturday night I think. Um just tell us about the history of it and, and what it means and um for us, you know, we held that that trophy up pretty highly. So uh, we know we've got to go out and win it again this year and um, at the moment it's up for grabs, so an yeah. opportunity on on Thursday to go out and get it done. Caleb you were nodding pretty emphatically
2: there even during the question.
9: What does it mean to you the the club? Uh means
11: heaps eh? probably just as much as um, every single one of us in the team, we just want to keep winning it back. And you know, I know for the boys that have been here the longest, like we Will touch on Sam Whitelock, you know, see how much it means to him. And so for us as young ones, you know, we just want to you know, do the jersey proud and also bring it back because we heard um, from Smithy, Wayne Smith, um, that he was sort of a part of the team that, that lost it. And he talked around how hard it was to get it back. And, you know, we don't want to be um, that team to lose it as well. So. Yeah, means a lot to all of us.
2: I guess slightly bigger picture when it comes to Melbourne. The old ladies haven't played the Wallabies here since I think twenty ten. You would have been all about eleven years old. You know what were you doing there?
11: <laughs> um, worrying about getting home to watch cartoons <laughs> after <laughs> primary. Yeah. So, yeah, that's quite exciting. Yeah, um, even playing here, getting to see the city is real cool. So, yeah, create some new memories.
3: Well, what um, uh, the last. Yeah, last couple of tests, you've you quite had your usual kind of involvement. What have you taken from those? What How can you kind of impact this game? Get back to that sort of world, Jordan, we know it is very
9: best. Yeah, I think over the last 40 months or so, it has been um, a little bit tough getting the ball out wide. And um, had some great chats with Joe Smith in particular over the last couple of weeks about how we can influence the game um, a bit more. And that's the ball's not like coming our way so. I think we saw in the Argentina test, um, a lot of it was around like our kick chase and um, being able to influence there with our pressure, with our D. So I guess that's a big focus and just trying to have as much, I guess, impact and influence off the ball was on it. Um, and then we do get the opportunity to the ball in hand, getting pretty excited obviously under the roof this weekend. So um, hopefully a bit of running footy.
10: You've gone in the
3: rugby championship, loss, win, loss, win, and the wins have been pretty reactive to what had happened to you the week before, that both the losses were, I guess, pretty similar. Um, How do you change that mindset? Like, how do you go be more proactive about going into this first game and, and not being on the back foot?
9: Yeah, I guess, like you say, we've sort of bounced back pretty well from losses, and I guess we've taken a lot of learnings from having played a team once and been able to adjust our game plan. So... lot of focus has gone into this week into our prep and making sure um, we're really understanding the Australians game and the different subtleties they've got to the RGs or the Africans so um, yeah I think like I said it's pretty important we go out there this week and we stay ahead in the game and within that there's in-game adjustments we have to make as as they'll change their game plan up and show us things we haven't seen so I think that's always the battle was making sure we're prepared but then also when we get out there we're able to adjust whether it's the ref whether it's what they're doing um, and just be on top of that.
3: Caleb, it's been well documented your 2021, you know, your struggles and everything the week for you and the waiting game and all that sort of stuff. Um, how, just how much are you enjoy being able to string test matches together? Mm. I mean, we're seeing that smile on your face again. Yeah. And how, what, what does it mean to you and, and do you feel like you're kind of coming back to peak, Caleb?
11: Yeah, um, it's been real good fun um, just sort of focusing on each day and I'm um, not really looking too far ahead. I think, you know, reflecting on last year, I always just wanted to try put on that black jersey, even though I was still, you know, playing for the Blues, or I was already thinking about sevens, and I hadn't even played a Super Rugby game yet. and So, yeah, I think the biggest learning I've taken out of um, the past is just being grateful for each day and just having fun. You know, being around the boys, being around, you know, like my teammate Will. I think that's sort of what's helped me just. You know, play to my best as well, because you just don't want to let the jersey down, you don't want to let the boys down. I think that's sort of, um, yeah, the biggest thing, and I'm just happy I get to, get to play, because I sort of had to come out of injury to put this black jersey back on, so I'm just happy to you know, be on that field now.
3: Well, Caleb's talked about one of the things that allows him to play well is that this group accepts him for who he is. Mm. Who is Caleb? Caleb. <laughs> Why wouldn't
9: you accept him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. You know, Caleb's someone who brings a lot of energy to our group, and I guess it sort of shows where our group's at when he's able to be himself and express himself pretty freely. So that's what it's all about. I think um, over the last couple of years, in particular, that's been something that Fozzy's and the leads have really driven in this environment. It's just around being ourselves. We spend a lot of time, you know, on tour together as a group, so we're starting to go some pretty tight connections, and um, yeah, it's great to see both on and off the field people been able to express themselves Am I right that the
2: Rabbit is your team? And, uh, yeah. Did you watch them on, the week, on the weekend it was a pretty yeah.
11: crazy game I was watching it with all the boys there and I think I was the only one excited I was dancing around in the middle of <laughs> front of the screen so yeah I was just real happy and it was quite a rollercoaster of a game didn't realise in league you could get sent off twice and still come back on so <laughs> yeah it was pretty good but. Is
2: there anyone in that team that you particularly like, admire or, you know maybe like Cody walkers pretty yeah.
11: Definitely, like Cody Walker be one. Um, the Mitchell Mitchell's another one that um, I've sort of connected with. We sort of talk over um, social media, and so it's just real cool getting to, you know, see the boys do really well. And yeah, it's like the Battle of Sydney with the Roosters and Rabbitohs. And yeah, when I was watching, I was like, "Yeah, come on, boys!" So <laughs> that was good. And just one on the wall- Wallabies factory, I mean, Tom Wright's an ex as well, but uh, and then Andrew Callaway
2: for either of you. Like, what do you kind of make of those players?
11: Yeah be oh, yeah. Great matchup Seeing their back three got, uh, I think I'm coming up Against Tom Wright And You know We've had a, a Battle on that um, Game over in Canberra and so Yeah Looking forward to it And Will's got a whole mate Marika So <laughs> no,
9: Yeah I think it's a pretty Like balanced back three They've got yeah. Obviously you've got Sort of the power of Marika on the left And then um, You know Tom Wright With the speed and footwork And um, You know Callaway was pretty strong In the two tests Or three tests Against us last year So um, yeah, they've got, I guess, a good balance of different game styles and, um, yeah, pretty strong unit. It's exciting. Um,
2: like, Marika's tackle in Adelaide that kind of went viral, I suppose? Will you, like, obviously you
9: play your Test mm. rugby season get smashed, yeah. but, yeah, you know, the, the way he seems to go particularly hard? And- um, yeah, I've been on the receiving end of a couple of them, um, <laughs> so you certainly feel it. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a pretty physical player, I think. You know, across Test rugby, there's plenty of them sort of going around so I think the physicality is something that you yeah, kind of um, experience pretty week in week out but yeah, obviously has worked great um, to get in the play in that frame was um, yeah pretty special effort so um, yeah it's a pretty physical test but I guess it's sort of what you, you get when you got at test footy There's, um, it's the nature of the beast mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, there you go. So Man but Grammar's Finest and Caleb Clark and Will Jordan there. Um, hey, Mike's just texted in. He probably didn't appreciate my comments regarding Hamilton Boys High School. And he says, don't hate on Hamilton Boys High School for pissing excellence, Mark. The sport and team culture is important at this school. I send my boys there for a fraction of the cost of a private school. Don't have any problem with that. They are thriving at sport and in the classroom. I love your passion for mags. That's what makes First 15 Rugby so special. Yeah, my, I guess my problem is, though, what about those kids that are going to those schools outside of Hamilton Boys And a lot of the talent ends up being taken by Hamilton boys, particularly like Mount Maunganui College and some of the schools in Tauranga and some of the schools in Rotorua. And I don't think it's a good thing for the competition in Hamilton if you've got one school who is just so much better. And that's been proven because they now play in that Super 8. They play outside of Hamilton, don't they? Um, But it's no good when you've just got one school that's got a monopoly on everything. You know, if you live in central Hamilton and Hamilton is your school and you come through there in the third form and you've got aspirations of playing first 15 rugby, you should be able to get there without suddenly a whole group of players coming in from outside of the region, not because they're good chess players, but because they're good rugby players. Look, we've got an issue here in Auckland with St. Kennegan's Kings um, to a degree and they've sort of shut it down. Um, And I just think that yeah. It, it, look, it's a fine balance, Mike, and I get where you're coming from because I spoke to parents once too who said, Look, my boyfriend went from Mount Maunganui to Hamilton Boys. He ended up making New Zealand secondary schools first, fifth, and he won a Māori Cup. He wouldn't have got those opportunities at a lesser school. And so th- there's, you know, there's some rationale in that as well. We'll take a break. You're listening to SENZ. OK, it is 27 minutes away from 11 o'clock. We've mentioned tonight that we will bring you the full, of the full press conference for Ian Foster after naming his all-black side to take on the Wallabies in the first of the Bledisloe Cup matches. Without further ado, Ian Foster.
10: Ian, if you just start on one of your, one of your changes, what have you asked to see of Hoskins this week and what's been limited rugby for him over the past few months?
12: I played last weekend for counties, uh, which is why we released him. Um... Get him really. He's trained really, really well. Uh, just be himself, you know. Like he's been part of our group. He's been training alongside Ardy regularly um, and putting pressure on during the training weeks. Knows his roles well, and we just want him to go and, I guess, execute the the game that uh, we need him to be played. But also to not not be afraid to show some of the skill set that he's that he's got.
10: Can it be tough to to manage a player when? They're probably very eager for game time, but you know, you probably can't quite give them the game time they want.
12: Uh, yeah, but that's part of being a squad. And you know, the guys all know that, that there's there's fifteen and then there's a bench and then there's guys that don't get named and so how we train, how we prepare each other is it's always been a, a philosophy to, that everyone's getting ready to play and it certainly is a test year when you haven't you haven't played um, uh, you haven't played a test match for the last you know couple of months. But he's been with us. But you know we have been able to get him back playing NPC a couple of times, and that gives him a good hit out. And, and again, like we're just confident that he's ready. You've asked for
10: consistency and performance, and it's obviously been something that's been hard to come by this year. From what you've seen during the week, do you feel you're close to getting those consistent performances?
12: Well, I think the consistency we've been demanding is probably during the during the training week first, and and really feel that we're getting there. And um, and again, this week's um, uh, like like the other ones, we've been training well, um, and and you know we're primed and ready to go. You know, we're, it's a it's a big game in the rugby championship. Um, everyone's sort of on the same starting line. So with two rounds to go, it's a. A, it's a big weekend for, to, to make a bit of a statement. And
2: just on back on Hoskins, how has he kind of been dealing with the weekend and kind of, I guess, knowing he has these very big shoes to fill?
12: Good. You know, he's ready to go. He's wanted to go before and he hasn't had the chance. So, um, yeah, he's fine. He's, he's confident. He doesn't, uh, hard to tell with Hoskins sometimes. You know, he's he's quiet and he's um, got his way of doing things. But you know, we got we got complete faith in him, and he's um, he wouldn't be there if we weren't really confident. that He's really.
2: When it comes to this week, you know, you mentioned the consistency. What else have you been asking to see from the guys through this week?
12: Well, look, I think we just, um, you know, like I, I think we talked earlier about the, about the preparation. So we're just making sure we 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 keep. Growing how how we prepare as a group, to, um, but secondly, I think we—it's about it's, a bit, it's a matter of just having real confidence in, in what we do, and I think when you have a couple of losses early in the season, it's easy to to, to go into your shell and and you end up wanting something so much that you you, you stifle a little bit of the way that you play, and um, so it's just a matter of encouraging people that you know you know your role, you, you're prepared well, just go and do it, and um, and you know I think we. We saw that in Hamilton, and and the, and the key now is to go and see it again. You know, we just need players to to get to go in the park and, and back themselves. Know they're skillful players, and, and away we go.
2: Does it help to a degree? Like certainly, you know, haven't been on the ground that long. But from a kind of superficial perspective, it seemed pretty low key this week in the city. They've got a lot of other sports they care about. Does does that help? Kind of flying under the radar a little bit?
12: Not really. I don't think so. You know, it's um. We certainly know we won't be flying under the radar on Thursday night. So our, our, our prep, I mean, we're, we, we get into our own little zone about how we prepare. And um, and I'm sure the the stadium will be humming when we get there. So that's what we expected.
3: Yeah, and are you um, happy to get a chance to see Scott at six again? I mean, you said earlier in the season, you know, you weren't done with us, and you've been as good as you were. Are you happy to see
12: this chance? Yep. It's, um, uh, like I said, you know, we were really pleased with his test against Ireland. Um, circumstances meant that we didn't go there again, but it's, um, again, it's just a, it's an option. Uh, you know, we've we've clearly want to want to keep up our sleeve and, and use, and um, it's a great occasion for it. How long do you expect Shannon to be out for? Don't know. Yet. So his, he took a blind in the ribs. Doesn't look like it's too bad. So. He'll join us on Sunday night, and we'll see. In terms of the Blizzardslo, it's obviously been <coughs> 19 years that the All Blacks have held it for. Um, do you do you think the New Zealand public potentially take that for granted, and how, how do you <coughs> reinforce the importance of it to the team? Well, we, I mean, we we talk a lot about it. You know, we talk this week we've spoken a lot about the Rugby Championship, you know, and, and the importance of that. And where we sit on that table and that's been key for us Um, and the is sort of an added trophy alongside that so it's um, so for us it's a it's a massive trophy and um, and the fact that we've we've had it for a while is probably testimony to that it's it's something that we don't take lightly and and it means a lot to us and do the public understand oh I think they do I don't I think the you know, the Blederslow has always been a trophy that, that, that our public are, are excited about. You know, we've, you know New Zealand-Australia Test Matches are, are pretty special. And, um, you know, the fact that we've held it for a while is is nice but kind of irrelevant right now. You know, for us it's about the here and now and there'd be nothing better than to, to, to lock that away on, on Thursday night. What's your read on the Wallabies
3: and the way they've been
12: tracking this year? Um, some really good stuff, and, um, and and then haven't been able to probably back it up the next week. So Sound it, familiar? Yeah, it does.
10: Um, <laughs> do you take any lessons out of the way that both teams are sort of st- searching for that consistency?
12: Well, I think what we've got is we've got a, a rugby championship that's very even. With all four teams have the same record, don't they? And so it's easy for us to focus on us, but um, all four teams are the same boat. So you know maybe it is evening up a little bit, and. And what it does is it shows you the importance of, of of the here and now, and just focusing on on what we have to do. And so I'm sure they're on the same boat, and um, and you know for them that's a I guess it's a massive test, it's a home test, and, um, and it's, a, it's a, you know they kind of have to win it to have a chance of the Bledisloe, and and for us it's a massive test because we've, we've got a rugby championship that that's important to us, and it's also a chance to to win that same trophy
3: on with Bernard Foley at the first time in three years
12: how do you think that might change the way that yeah well the, obviously it's their hands been forced like uh, with that I haven't seen their full team but I've heard that one so it's um it's you know he, he's a, a really good organizer probably um, you know probably more uh, an organizing team very astute, very experienced test match player so and he's played with a lot of their players for a long, long time. So I, I kind of don't see it as being a major change for them. Um, and, you know, he'll probably bring a bit of enthusiasm and, and love the chance to put his hand up to get back into that group. So um, I certainly don't think they'll lose anything and they may even gain a little bit. Bozzie, you've
3: described Australia as a ruck-and-run style of rugby that they play. So do you see one of the real challenges for your group not being sucked into playing at their temple? No, they do like to open the game, up a wee bit?
12: Yeah, well, I think we both like to play at that sort of tempo, really, and um, and so both teams will do whatever they can to stop it, I think, because, you know, we've seen if they get front foot ball, they, they've, they've certainly beefed up some of their ball carry options um, and all designed to get them behind you and, and get speed of ball and start to exploit, you know, that short side and, and, and get their nines moving at you. So, um, and so the, the, in some ways the game doesn't change a lot from Argentina where you're really going to have to control that gain line and control that, that tackle point pretty important so um, um, so we kind of know their game it's because it looks a little bit similar to ours at times
3: and what would be your response to just the general punters who would look at the form guide and think that the All Blacks might be vulnerable this year than other years
12: I'd say they just looked at the form guide really and so um my, my response, I, I can't sort of control what people think. All I can control what we're working on, and um, and you know, there's, I guess there's probably going to be a. Um, it's a big chance for one of the one of the teams on Thursday to, to make a bit of a statement about that, isn't there, and to build a bit more consistency in the game.
3: Has the results like, throughout the whole year and everything that's gone and taken a personal toll on you, and how have you dealt with that, not
12: let it affect the group? Yeah, fine. I'm still my bubbly personality.
3: And have you have you done a bit of a deep dive into why you haven't been able to, you know, get post back to back wins? I mean, is it have you identified anything in particular or is it is it just this evening up of the competition?
12: Well, I think it's you can get over paranoid about it, I reckon, when you look back, you know, we, we assess each game as, as it goes along and um, and there's different reasons for different things, you know, like it's been a, a pretty unique year for us in, in many ways and you know, both Aussie and us came off July series that we lost, and there was a bit of soul searching, and we obviously made a few changes. Um, the fact that we go to South Africa and have two tests in South Africa in a new format and come away with a win or a loss is probably not unusual for the All Blacks, in all honesty. Um, and it's not easy to win two over there, and so I, I don't, I'm not getting over reading into that. Um, disappointing one for us was obviously the Christchurch in the last quarter of that game, and we think we've learned a lot from that. So, you know, I reckon we've taken some steps that we can control. And and these these next two tests are a big chance for us to just to keep showing that we are learning.
3: Coming off your best kind of sustained attacking performance, how important is it to kind of, I guess, realize or understand what went into that, the variation of your of, of your kicking game, for example? Uh, how important is it that you don't kind of fall in love with the fact you just ran in all those trials and that guy?
12: Well I think the, the best thing to read into that game was probably was our best defensive game you know I'd actually say it was probably a better defensive game than it was an attacking game and I think that um, you know we, we put Argentina under a lot of pressure and forced mistakes and that gave us opportunity to, to play what we wanted to do so um, so the lessons for this week is, is probably the same as you know, we've got a lot of respect for the way Aussies play, the, the speed, their skill sets, and we know that if we're not up defensively that that you're chasing your tail a little bit. So, um, you know, I think this game starts a little bit at that end of the game rather than the attack side.
10: The Australian team's found a bit more success in Super Rugby this year compared to France tasman in 2021. Do you expect that to translate into the Wallabies on Thursday?
12: Well, I hope not. I think the, but you know, they clearly are. They, they've got their own plan of improvement, and um, you know, the fact that they they've beat the South Africans is is, is reflective of they they are, are, are a quality team that are working hard at, at stuff. They've, you know, they've got you know they've got a, probably some influence from some of their Super Teams and the way they play and in their coaching group and that probably gives them a bit of security and consistency in some aspects. So, yeah, so they, I guess they, they're probably feeling pretty good where they're at, but they would have been disappointed with their last game and, again, want to prove a point. Is there a bit
10: more of excitement in the group, given that it's you know, two teams that clearly
3: want to run the ball, play a bit of rugby? Uh, just on the back of the remarks we heard the other week,
12: I didn't make those statements. Oh,
3: not, not you personally. Okay, yeah, I didn't
12: think Argentina did that, to be perfectly honest, but I actually quite like the way Argentina's played, their mentality. But if I come back to the question, it's, um, yes it is. I love these games, and the team love these games. And particularly, um, it's great coming to Mel- uh, Melbourne to play in, you know, with the, at Marvel Stadium, it would be exciting, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a great sporting city and, and the guys feel that. So whilst there may not be a, um, I guess, a lot of vibe about it in terms of the build-up, there certainly we know what it's going to be like when, when kick-off comes. And look, the last two or three years, we had some great tests with Australia and they have been open, it's... Um, but like I said, it's not a matter of going out there, Jamie, and just trying to play open rugby. It's a matter of trying to play accurate rugby and, and making sure that we we make them work hard for the metres they get, and I guess they'll be trying to do the same for us.
3: Marble well, Stadium's obviously got a roof, you've partnered a roof in Dunedin, but is there anything you need to adapt to
12: in terms of the stadium on Thursday night? No, I don't think so. I think it's, um, you know, we're, we're pretty used to the different sort of circumstances we get, and, uh, and you know, the guys love it. They, we love the, the, the stadiums and the and the big stages, and there's another one.
2: Ian, what have you made of the Weldy Set piece? It seems to be a bit hit and miss and obviously there'll you know there'll be no Loriano who's also having a baby, but yeah, I mean by naming Scott
12: uh at number six, is that perhaps a line out for an area that you could exploit? Uh, yep. Uh, they've, um, it's always an area you gotta gotta go away and and, and and you've got to try and nail that as a key part of the game. they it is an area that we we're really confident that we're growing in that in that part of the game, and so it's a something that we are going to we, we're going to try and work on really hard. We see it as a, a key key facet of this test match, um, and we know they've got an abrasiveness about them in their set piece, and 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 we've also seen some some areas of improvement in their in their game in that respects the last four test matches. So um, it's a big battle, but it's one that. Um, I guess there's a few changes on both sides of the team, and it's going to be, I guess, who's who's prepared well and who settles the most into their into the combinations.
10: Um, Ian, just on the scheduling, the Thursday night game. Um, what, what do you feel about Thursday night games generally speaking?
12: I get the days of the week mixed up when I tell people which day it is. Um, no, look, it's, it doesn't make a lot of difference to us. It's we, you know we're both teams coming off a bye. Uh, we're both playing each other the following week, so I think from that side, it's it's very equal. Um, my understanding is that um, there was a just lack of stadiums at, at the time that they they were looking to put it, so that's why it got moved to Thursday. So, but that's Australian's decision, not ours, and we just responded to that.
10: Is it much of an adjustment, or do you just basically plan everything the same, but two days
6: back? Well,
12: I'd probably prefer to play on a Saturday you know, but I don't think it's much of an adjustment, so I don't think there's anything there that's, um, but it's, I think the stadiums are all gonna be pretty well booked out, but a few teams got knocked out, haven't they, so there's a, probably could have gone. <laughs> hard to tell that right now.
3: Ian, does it feel like Hamilton, was it kind of a weight off the shoulders, or were, were you Oh, I that?
12: love the fact you compare Melbourne to Hamilton, that's <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> No, that Hamilton performance, yeah. I mean, do, I, you know,
3: does it really feel like the guy, you know, for everybody, was kind of, that sort of performance, you know, Answered a lot of not,
12: not at all. You know, I don't. Um, I just think it's yeah. You, you don't. One game doesn't change a lot in this business. You know, you, you move on from one game very very quickly and you move into the next. So if it's a loss, we 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 try not to get too down. We try to get factual about how we're going to go and fix it. If we have a win, you you know you certainly enjoy the night, but then you start worrying about the next one. So it's um. That's kind of the business, and so. You know, if you have a good win in Hamilton, in some ways it puts us under more pressure, isn't it? Because we want to make sure that we, we keep taking steps forward.
2: So, insane saying that, Ian, what would after the year that's been finally getting back to back wins actually mean to you here in the uh, Hamilton of Australia? <laughs>
12: <laughs> it's just, I kind of feel like I've answered that to be fair. It's just, it's a big game in the rugby championship, it's a big game in the Breeders' life, so it's, um, it's, these are the ones we want.